2024 is the year of podcasts, and we want to let you know about a brand new show that is live right now. Join with me to share the good news about the Worthy of Everything podcast. It's just one of the two hosts, Jaja Lasso. Jaja, you've been working on this podcast in the background. Our team has been very excited as we've been preparing for its launch. How does it feel to know that the episodes finally are out there and we're moving forward every single week? It is so exciting and I am just excited to see where God takes it and I have so much hope that it is going to be an incredible blessing to the listeners. Amen, amen. But as I understand it, this is a show tackling the issues of mental health through the lens of the gospel. Can you share just a little bit more about the heart and the intent and who you're really trying to serve through the Worthy of Everything podcast? So I personally was freed from depression and as I've come to understand my freedom from sin and identity in Christ, I start to recognize all these amazing gifts that God has given us. So yeah, just exploring and hearing awesome testimonies about how to walk out true intimacy with a loving father who pursues his kids. Oh man, sounds like a good time. If you want to check out the show, lovereality.org slash podcasts and look for the Worthy of Everything show. The world doesn't think that the gospel can change your life, but we know that it can. And that's why we want you to hear these stories, stories of transformation, stories of freedom, people getting free from sin and healed from sin because of Jesus. This is Death to Life. I didn't learn healthy ways to relate. I'm blaming. I'm shaming him. I'm, he's a hard worker, but what that translates into is he's never home. And from his standpoint, it's like, well, it takes a lot to start a business. And it, I didn't feel like I figured in it. And that's what the Holy Spirit said to me. It's like, um, do you think you can do it? And it's like, no, everything I've tried. I'm, I'm to the end of my resources. And I, I went to him and I owned it. And I confessed it. Yo, welcome to the Death to Life podcast. I'm Richard Young. I'm under the weather. I'm about to cough in this intro. So I'm going to go real quick. <coughs> Did it anyway. This is part two of a part three, part two of a three-part series with the Morrison family. This is part two, Michelle Morrison. Her story is beautiful, but it's wild. Um, And I don't know what else to say, except you're already listening to it. So keep listening to it. And then next week, we'll wrap it up with part three. But this part, I haven't had an experience like this, uh, in, like in this interview since maybe Chico. I'll say that. And uh, I think, yeah, let's just listen to it. Let's just start. Buckle up, strap in. Love y'all. Appreciate y'all. Man, this is real talk. God is loving on me. Colorful and innocent, that's on me. Got me standing in the light and it's on me. It's a new heart. It's a new beat. It's a new thing. It's a new seat. I think the first time I spoke to you is probably when I stayed at your house in Hutchinson when I was working at Union, and I knew of you, but I didn't know you, and I stayed at your house, and then um, I've just been able to see uh, this beautiful walk that you and your husband have been on, and it's just been blowing me away more and more and more. And I don't know where your story starts in your mind when it comes to your view of God and who he was and who he is and what he did. 
But why don't we just start there? Mm. Where does it start in your mind? Where does your story start about who God is and really, what he actually did? Really, really, really young. In fact, I've even questioned, because I was so very young, whether or not it was even possible. Because I remember giving my heart to Jesus at three years old. And three years old. Three years old. Yeah. And I remember, which house did you visit and stay with us at? I don't remember. Texas, uh, what Texas is it called? Te- okay. Yeah, Texas I didn't Park. know if you stayed in the great big one. Um, I remember meeting you at, actually, probably a lot before that, maybe when Lauren was in at Union. And you were always announcing things at, at uh, <laughs> basketball tournament, which we were always at. So I knew of you long right. before that, and then just got to know you more through Tyler when you guys connected. Okay, so back to the three years old. Um, I even found out later that my mom would read, um, my mom or my dad would read the Bible storybooks to me while I was in her tummy. Didn't know that until just recently, um, which considering um, I was conceived, and maybe this is wrong, but it was kind of like David, you know, how he said, how I'm conceived in sin, yet you knew me from before I was born, that kind of thing. And I was an early baby. Um, (laughs) Well, they say that the first one comes at any time. It's the second one that's nine months. The first one can come three months, four months after the wedding. Who's to say? There you go. Well, that I came at like eight Something like that. And I I was always good at math, so I figured that one out pretty early. I remember I was probably five, if that, Mm -hmm. maybe even three or four. But we went, I was not Avenist, but I was visiting my Avenist uh, aunt and uncle, and we were at camp meeting. And there was a call. I have no idea how old I was, but my aunt was sitting beside me. And she could just tell. And this guy went on forever and ever and ever. And people were going up. And he still, I bet you it was an hour long. But I was a little girl, you know, so things. But I just felt this stirring in my heart to go up forward. And I was so shy, so, 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 so shy that it was like I would rather crawl under a chair than go forward in front of all these adults in a big meeting. And she looked at me and she goes, Shelly, do you want to go up? I'll go up with you if you want to go. And I said, yes, I do. And I went up and whatever happened then, other than I was always very, in fact, my mom and dad made fun of me at one point because whenever they would have a call, I would go up, you know, I would just (laughs) feel that stirring. And so then after that, it's like, well, maybe I shouldn't be going up all the time, you know, that kind of thing. But my walk with Jesus started really young. And I remember about a year ago, two years ago, Nicholas and I were doing a little back and forth. He said, Mom, I want to get to know you as a person, not as my mom. And so mm-hmm. I'm going to give you some little you know, prompting questions, things that I want to know about you. And one of the things he asked me was, you know, about my walk with Jesus. And I, I remember buying a Bible for myself when I was in seventh grade. I didn't have my own Bible. And I went and I got I got one at Kmart. It was a living Bible. And I was, I, I can remember, I don't know, I just 
kind of always have. You know, it's like I've walked with him. I, um, the, the people that I interview on here, it seems like more and more it's the women that have known from the beginning that they were princesses or they've known from the beginning that they were loved. And it seems like uh, giving their heart to the Lord at an early age. I'm not sure if that's you. Uh, I yes, know you gave your heart to the Lord at the early age. But not the loved but, part. Didn't get the loved part. I well, tell me about that. So um, right around five years old. And this is all a lot of Jesus work. I mean, this has taken years and years and years of him talking with me, making things clear. In fact, on my way driving here. It's like he opened up another understanding to me regarding my walk with him that makes it pretty plain as far as probably where we're going to go today. But it had to do with, you know, I I wanted to please my parents. I love my parents. Um, I wanted to obey them. Uh, That's what seemed to make them the most happy, you know, as if I obeyed them. But I also am very strong-willed. I think things through just watching my grandchildren, you know, how young they are and how they, you know, reason. And then they come up against you and argue with you because they think they know better or whatever, you know, and they're Uh only four. uh But um, (laughs) I would do that with my dad. And but I I so wanted to make them happy. And because I had a heart for Jesus, I knew that obeying my parents was part of that. Um, and so that would make me feel real guilty when I didn't want to obey them or when I went up against them or whatever. But the loving part got stifled almost right at the beginning in terms of my perception of them towards me. And it had to do with, it was on a Sunday night. I know it was Sunday night because, um, uh, Walt Disney world, the world of Disney was on at six o'clock every Sunday night. And, I didn't get to watch it that night. I was naughty. I don't know what it was, but my mom put me in my room and said that I could come out when I was sorry or something like that. And I'm very stubborn. And I stayed there and I cried and cried and cried. I never did come out. You know, I ended up going to sleep. She didn't check on me the whole time. Well, maybe she did. She would peek her head in, but then I was really angry And right before I was supposed to go to sleep, she tilted her head in and she goes, I love you. And I was like, no, you don't. No, you don't. If you had left me, you wouldn't have done this to me or blah, blah, blah. So I made this declaration, this vow or something in my head that I didn't believe that my parents loved me because of how they disciplined me that particular night, perhaps. That's where it all goes back to. So from that point on, my ability to understand my parents' love uh, was very jaded. You know, it was always, I, I had hoops for them to get through. And if they didn't get through those hoops, they didn't really love me. Um, I was the oldest. That's, kind of, that's super interesting because as a child, you're now having expectations for your parents. Were, were they, were they tough? Were they, um, no. Tough parents? Actually, no. <laughs> On me, probably yes, because I believe that the first, what I've seen of firstborns, it's like parents are practicing and they they don't know they're practicing, but they're practicing. And it seems uh-huh. like we ruin our firstborns. Um, if uh-huh. you look at all of the firstborns in the Bible, hardly any of them are chosen to do something big for God. You always have a Moses that's last or you have 
Joseph, David. that's 11th. Yeah, you got David. I mean, it's like because we have scarred our kids by our expectations. Oh, that's so sad. <laughs> that's really sad. <laughs> and I, I apologize. And I maybe maybe that's why I've had so much opportunity to uh, speak life into Christopher. We love you, we Chris. Probably, yeah. We love <laughs> right. you, man. You're not, you are, felt, you're not practice. You're I the felt, real deal. I felt like they were overly hard on me, you know, because their reputation is on the line, you know, their parenting, yeah. you know, all that personal stuff. But yeah, I was, that took a long time for me to overcome probably just within the last few years for me to finally believe it's like, you know what? My parents do love me when they say they love me. They do love me. They're just broken. They just don't know how, when they hurt me in ways that just pierced my heart in the past, it's not because they meant to, they were doing the best they knew how, but you know, I finally started believing they do love me. You know, they do love me, but even so that doesn't, make any difference it's like jesus so loves cult- me. culturally they're not they're not adventists they weren't adventists um no not when i was little um my dad was pentecostal um my uh-huh. mom she was nothing but she went <laughs> to um her my my grandmother was adventist and so mm-hmm. you know like so many of your guests you know this adventist uh walk into freedom it's like my my aunt who took me up, that was a Avenue's camp meeting. Um, my grandma got kicked out of the church for dating my grandpa because he was musical. He was a trumpet player in a band and, and dances, of course, are on Friday night. My grandma came home one Friday night and the elders of the church had met with her parents and told them that she was disfellowshipped. She married my grandpa. And, and of course, you know, at that point, from what I can tell from stories of my mom is they lived in between an Adventist church and a Nazarene church. My grandma didn't go to church. She would dress my mom up for wherever she wanted to go. And then mom would go to both because she had a heart for God. So we were talking about this the other day. And there's something that you had seen in your life that. It's probably instilled at you at a young age, and that is uh, wanting to be right. Um, uh, and you, I asked you, I said, well, did you get praised for being right and, and shamed for being wrong? Uh, talk about that and how that kind of formed you as you're, as you're moving on and, and getting ready to go to academy and, and getting older. So we started going to church after my grandpa died. Um, and my grandma went back to the Adventist church. My mom went back. My dad had threatened my mom that if she went to the Adventist church after they get married, that he would leave her. So they went to, uh, you know, I grew up going to Sunday churches. My mom wouldn't go to a Pentecostal church. She didn't want all the tongue stuff. And dad didn't want to go on Saturday. And so they went elsewhere until I was nine. And then we started going, um, they went together. So in terms of the right, Jesus, that's the part that Jesus kind of enlightened me on my way over here. Um, from a very little age, it's like my very favorite Bible character was Joseph. Always has been uh, his life, his family's life, in terms of all four generations beforehand, um, have spoken life to me and given clarity and truth in my own family situation. But I just loved the story of Joseph. 
um, I identified with it, I think, in some way. Um, but all those greats, you know, like the Samuel story, it's like, Samuel, Samuel. You know, and it's like, oh, it's God speaking, and it's just a little boy. And so I had what birthed in me very little is I wanted to be a great for God. I wanted to be one of those Bible kind of characters. I wanted to be a disciple. You know, I wanted to be, in fact, just in the past few weeks, it's like I wanted to be what turned into what is the big part of my story, which I didn't even mention to you on Friday. Um I want it to be, you know, on your right hand and on your left kind of thing. You know, I want it to be a prophet. I want it to be... You want to be special. Special, yeah. Very. Yep. That would be it. And so I think that developed into a, a right thing as well. My mom has a, a need to be right. And you guys use a term called gaslighting. <laughs> didn't did not have that gaslighting term in my vernacular back then um but my mom gaslights you know what i call it is you know it's blame and shame it's it's trying to convince you that you are the one that's wrong uh to avoid taking responsibility for yourself so all of that needing to be right, you know, it's like I kind of learned it in all the gaslighting stuff because then you learn how to gaslight or you just learn to be a victim, um, which kinda, it just depends on what relationship you're having and with whom. Um, Wayne and I, it would go back and forth. He could, he's very good at gaslighting. Um, he, <laughs> Don't get there yet. Don't get there yet. Okay. I want to hear all about that. Okay. Uh, anyways, so. So you were gaslit as a child, oh, gaslit. Yep. Give me an example. Um, when we, when Wayne and I finally turned around, one of the hardest things for me to do, and it's very unusual because we went to um, Marriage Encounter. God put Marriage Encounter within two weeks of his confession to me. He put that in our path. It was a, a bunch of tools that we needed. And if you've ever been to Marriage Encounter, it's a weekend long of recognizing what feelings are. And usually men have a really hard time identifying their um, their feelings. And so they hate the weekend because they're writing and it has to do with feelings. <laughs> and women love it and they're dragging their parent, you know, their husbands there in order to fix their marriage, blah, blah, blah. Well, we were going there because we both wanted it. And I love to write. Wayne doesn't so much, but I love to write. I mean, that's how I communicate with God. And I go in and I am struggling. I mean, it's like, and some of our biggest fights would be because I couldn't, I couldn't own my feelings, which is gaslighting, but then I couldn't find them. They always mask themselves in anger. Um, if you would do something to me, I would get angry. Um, if you'd cross me up or not meet an expectation, I get angry. And you express anger, you know, like angry people do. Um, but in that, uh, in that format of marriage encounter, they revealed that anger is not, it's a feeling that masks other feelings. And so I had gotten to the point where, because I'm mind-based, I'm not heart or feeling-based, and yet it would affect my feelings. So I would try to figure out everything. I try to figure out 
I try to figure out everything with my mind. I mean, it's like uh-huh. my mind is a great big world in there. And Jesus and I are in there trying to figure uh-huh. it all out. Well, I couldn't name my feelings. Um, you know, hurt, um, betrayal. Um, um, disappointment. And this is because of gaslighting. This I is think because so. Of- I think so because my mom would impose her feelings on me, and it wasn't until my adult life that I actually, when I'm trying to disassociate from her, I you know, in the vernacular of psychology, I was enmeshed with my mom. Um, her feelings were my feelings because she would always tell you things like, um, "No, that didn't happen that way." And yet that's how I perceived it, or that's how I felt it. My feelings weren't valid. Um, they were told me what I should feel, you know. And so then your your skew of reality, how you see reality, um, is all messed up because it has to be through the eyes and the lens of your mom and how she does. And so you learn to just shut down your own because I wanted to please her. I wanted to obey her. It's part of... Um, it's part of honoring your father and mother. And I remember mm. even as an, as an adult, when I was standing up, um, I was not a rebellious teen. Um, I just wasn't. And, but as an adult, they would say that I was an, a rebellious adult. But mostly it's because you're trying to individuate. You're trying to become your own person as opposed to a baby nursing at your mother's breast. You know, it's like a mother mm. is supposed to let you go. You're supposed to become apart from her and that she would, she would do things. And this is not about my mom and I don't want to, you know, I don't, I really don't want to put her under the bus, but she would do things. And I'm hesitant um, because I love my mom and I'm still, this whole story still involves them, you know, coming Mm -hmm. and understanding these things too. So as you're moving forward and you get, to be a teenager, um, your thought about God towards you is that God is great and you want to be special in his army, but how did he see you real quick? How did he see you? Well, you know, like I said, I, I, I process things through my mind. And so I know that he loves me, you know, as teens will have these various experiences with God where he feels really close. Um, So I knew he loved me in my mind. There were occasional times when, but I also thought one of the lies, you know, it's like if you obey him, just like with your parents, things will go well with you. I mean, the Bible even says that, you know, Mm -hmm. um, Deuteronomy 28. If you do this on Mount Gerizim, this is going to be for you. If you do this over here, you will be blessed. Over here, you'll be cursed. All of that, you know, you're trying to make sense. And plus the church at that point, you know, I'm going to the academy, which was a miracle in itself, um, because I'm not Adventist, but I got to go. And it's like Mm -hmm. I felt like I fit. And I felt like finally I was amongst people who believed like I did. Everything was a yes. Um, Nothing was a no. All the things that I loved, I was charging full forward into truth. Um, everything but you're in this church academy that has a certain culture. And it was wonderful. It was wonderful. You were talking that there's the blesses and the curses and yeah. how the church had positioned certain things. And you started on that. Yes. Most of that I found out 
after when I became an adult, because what I had experienced from the time I went as an eight, nine-year-old, I had a Sabbath school teacher that was bar none. And I went back Uh to her and I asked at one point, it's like, what did you see in me? You know, because she's pretty elderly now. And she goes, what did you see? And she said, I just saw a little girl that was so hungry for Jesus and I I couldn't pour enough into you. She goes, I just loved preparing Mm -hmm. Sabbath schools that would trip your trigger or, you know, get you involved or pull your family into the church. When I got to the academy, same thing. We had leadership that was as free as I think our church could be at that time. You know, we had praise and worship when there wasn't praise and worship. There were people that were in love with Jesus that still walk out freedom today. And so I was exampled the love of Jesus in and at Maplewood, um, they became my family. And in the end, it turned oh. out to be bad because my family was, you know, struggling, dysfunctional. Um, my parents were always fighting and threatening divorce. Uh, there was the same thing that happened in my home in terms of infidelity. I found that out at 13 years old. So there was a lot of instability. And yet I go to Maplewood and it's like stable, Uh stable, stable, stable. You know, you have rules, which I didn't grow up with many rules. I formed my own rules. Um, But Uh Maplewood had rules and they seemed logical. They seemed good. We went to church a lot and I loved that. But um, no, it wasn't until later my my view of, you know, that if, cause I was good and everything was uh-huh. good at that point, you know, it's like, if I'm obedient, it'll be good. And then it and wasn't. It's, it, in this point in your life, you run into a guy we all know and love, Big Wayne. Yeah. Uh, how old were you when you uh, crossed paths with Big Wayne in, in a way that you guys started having little feelings for each other? 14. 14. <laughs> I was 14. <laughs> <laughs> 14. I was How wait, old was he? He was 15. He was 15. So he was a sophomore? He was a sophomore and I was a freshman. Yep. I saw him. So I saw him at church. I ended up sitting, me and my sister and our friend, we ended up sitting in the pew and Wayne was beside me, you know, four feet away. And then his mom mm-hmm. and his brother and his dad was up preaching and, and they handed out, you know, these little cards, you know, for involvement, you know, as far as church people involvement. Mm-hmm. And they passed mm-hmm. it towards the middle aisle. So we got to see and we were riffling through the little to see what his name was. And the one I read was from was Dale's. And he had checked every single thing on there that he wanted to help with. And I just laughed. It was like, well, I wonder if this guy's name is Dale. But it was his little brother who was like nine, you know. And uh, Wayne was sitting beside us. And so we thought, you know, like little girls do, let's drop him a note on the floor. And he, he was sitting with his hand between his knees, you know, his hand on his elbows, his face on his elbows. And uh-huh. because I know him now, but he goes, he never paid any attention to the little notes that we were throwing on the floor by his feet. He just left them there and never saw them. And I found out later it's because he was sleeping. <laughs> so <laughs> so I never met him. But the next day at Maplewood, he was coming out of the girls' dorm. I was coming from the ad building. 
moving my stuff into the dorm. And he, I, I just remember he was one of the first people I saw. And it's like, oh, he must be so old. You know, he must be a senior because he was so tall and he was good looking. And it's like, oh, that guy that I saw yesterday, he's going to be here. Woohoo. You know, so I saw him before he saw me. So I want to jump ahead a little bit. You guys, did you start a relationship that year or was it in a later year? No, it was that year. Uh, we within two weeks, um, within two weeks, I was in this music group. I was very musical. My mom was very musical. My grandpa was. My dad was super musical. Mm-hmm. But I was too shy to sing out loud. I didn't know if I could really sing, and because there's a competitive thing going on with my sister who sang like a songbird, um, mm-hmm. I didn't want to find out, and so. I got to be really good friends with a girl who sings like phenomenally. She was in my class. We got invited to try out for this Uh action team, which action teams by back then are praise teams, except Uh for you give concert. And we did. We had a bass (laughs) guitar. We had a sound system guy. And, Uh and I got in this group and lo and behold, Wayne's in this group. And that's where Mm -hmm. we got in close contact because we practiced probably two, three times a week. So from 14 to, to now that's, you've only had eyes for, for Wayne, huh? That was from the beginning. It was, mm. well, not, <laughs> <laughs> not because he was my first love. He was my first relationship, but at the same time as him was uh-huh. somebody else that was also in his class. And it's like, I was kind of confused because I yeah, I didn't know what to do because in class, if I was in class with him, he was rowdy. Uh, he didn't really care much about grades. Um, I didn't like the Wayne I saw in the classroom. Right. But in but when we were singing together and out traveling and witnessing, and it's like he was more fun than anybody I'd ever been with ever. And he was... Not just fun, he was intuitive. He was very in tune to your emotions. And because there are a lot of emotional things in my background, you know, things that aren't quite right, he would listen to my stories. You know, he would kind of play a counselor, even though he's only a year older than me. Hmm. I want to talk about this span of time between you getting married and uh, your dating relationship with him. And not like, I just want to talk about the rockiness of it because mm. from what I've heard that it was a little bit of a roller coaster. Why? And not like why, because he did this or you did this. Why do you think um, emotional wise or lies wise, it was as rocky as it was. And how did you guys decide finally, like let's get married? Like <laughs> it'll work. So Wayne, almost from the beginning when he noticed me, He was intent on marrying me. So at 14 and 15 years old, that's pretty intense. Um, And I would, because of my mind, and it's like I would rationalize, I would look at him, and I didn't have a spiritual bond with him. But we quickly went to physical stuff, which neither of us had done anything with anybody. You know, so it's almost like you're just discovering your your puberty with mm-hmm. each other. Um, 
surprises, you know, things that we would do that would make me feel guilty. Um, oh. And so I would, and because once the train starts rolling, there was, we got socialed four times um, <laughs> over the course of our dating. If you and, don't know what social is and you're listening to this, uh, you're yeah. probably not having this, but social is, and when you're in an academy, when the staff sees that you're being a little too chummy or catches you in a position that you shouldn't be in, mm. uh, then you're not supposed to talk to each other for like a week or not even be, around be near each, each other. other. Yeah. No, no, no. Touch. So, yep. No, nothing. <laughs> so you guys were getting uh, too chummy. Well, back then there is no phones. You know, there are no texts. So if it was truly a social, you know, you aren't talking or interacting or anything or else you get socialed longer. And one of ours got longer because we violated it or whatever. So um, Pastor Rich is one of the ones that resocial, that social does. Shout out to Pastor Rich. <laughs> yeah. You should have tried harder. They got married, man. <laughs> yeah, well, that's lethal. You know, and so all of those kinds of things. Um, and he was the one we would meet. We met with him once. And he said, it's really hard to go backwards. You know, next mm. to impossible, he said, to go backwards. And so for protection, for, you know, I would break up with them because the rocking, one of the things that Wayne's noticed with people, with kids, especially from Christian families, um, but I think it holds across the board, um, is they start to fight a lot um, in their relationship when they've gone too far, when they've... Mm. When they've done things physically and become bonded physically uh, before the emotional and spiritual aspect of re your relationship is appropriate. And in the case mm -hmm. of, you know, our age, we are obviously way too young um, to do anything about it. Um, it's too young to get married at 15, 16. Um, so I would break up with them. Um, probably, he says daily. I, I don't count it until I was actually not in relationship with him. And usually the only thing that would keep him away from me is if I, and I would jump from one relationship from him right into one that's just kind of sitting there waiting for me. Um, and the problem was, is all of the guys I wanted to date were his friends. So they were, they were very <laughs> hesitant to, to do anything. But I did date one of his really good friends for a year. Um, Wayne was always kind of in the wings. He wanted just to be near me enough to, you know, and I switched my allegiances when things weren't quite matching up to him. Dated that guy for Wayne's senior year, my junior year, uh, that other guy's senior year. Um, broke up with him at the beginning of my senior year. Uh, Wayne was right there. We had a wonderful time. Um, and he was scared to date me again because he was afraid I might dump him. And I said, yeah, well, there's nobody here. All the guys that I wanted to date, you know, I didn't give him a real good assurance. But they're That's all That's a good answer. Class. Like, well, you're safe because I'm not you're really here. interested in yeah. anybody else. So there's you're nobody good in for my now. class. There's no, I'm not going to date younger than me. And except, and then I said, well, maybe except for one. And he knew which <laughs> that one was. And on hey, our hey. senior class trip, I got together with him. Uh, <laughs> Wayne was not with me when I graduated. My whole family, of course, and my brother, who is 48 years old now, he was three when I graduated. He's never known a time when Wayne's not been around. He's like an older brother. Um, uh -huh. 
he was one when we started dating. So it's like, so I broke up with him again. I've, and I know his family. I mean, I know, I know Wayne's family so well, all of his aunts, uncles, I was with them at Christmas times. I was, um, all his cousins, they were like one, two, four years old, six years old, eight years old, 11 years old. It's like, I've known them since they were itty bitty little children. And to hurt Wayne was to hurt all of them. And so, to, you know, it's like, okay, you stay away from that Michelle girl. She has just hurt you beyond hurt. Wayne is, yeah, I mean, it's like his senior year. He had these puppy dog eyes, you know, in his senior class picture. And can you imagine Wayne not smiling? I mean, that's just not even possible. He's always laughing. He's always smiling. Um so where we got back together is I was in college and I was far away from home. I was at Southern, um, went with the guy that I'd broken up, you know, with Wayne for, uh, we broke up pretty quick. Wayne called me when I was, at, he was, went to union. He thought that if he was more studious or something that maybe I'd come back to him, but he went to union college instead of Southern. And back then it's like, you were cut off. You know, there was, maybe three people at Southern that I knew and all the rest of them had come from, uh, from other academies. They all knew each other. I don't make Uh friends easy. Um, so I was incredibly lonely. Um, but I had no boyfriends. Um, none. I was really lonely. Uh, my parents don't communicate. Uh, it was too expensive. My dad, you know, it was over 10 cents a minute, long distance. They would never call me. They don't write letters. Um, my mom's, she would say, you know, no news is good news. And so, you know, I, I didn't, I wasn't able, yeah, I was not connected with anybody. Um, at the end of the year, my sister graduated from Maplewood. And I came back early because college ends before the academy does. And I came back. And the very next weekend, the guy that I'd broken up with Wayne for, he came up to my mom's and we would have great big, huge parties. I would. I would bring all of Wayne's friends, all of my friends. We would go snowmobiling. Well, that particular weekend, they had invited the Corlears over uh, after church. We had a bunch of the girls staying there because Lisa was part of Corlears. And Uh Wayne was finally getting along without me. He had started dating a girl that was in Corlears, and he came up. Uh, he came up to DL to be with her, uh, to see her. He was not going to college, and so his weekends were free. He had his own car. He was making his own money, and he was dating this girl that was staying at her house. Well, I, I had bet my boyfriend. A little bit more attractive now. Sure did. You know, he came and he came, he rode motorcycles, things that the other guy didn't do. Um, You know, all the things that I love to do with him, he was doing with this girl. Well, and I had already been thinking about him and praying about him because we had broken up and said, neither one of us, we had said, neither one of us are ever going to approach the other one again, unless it's for good. And neither one of us were going to do it. And I had learned to not trust myself that year. I had learned to put all my hope in Jesus that even if I'm hurting, I'm just going to, that's okay. 
you know. And mm-hmm. anyways, so that weekend happened. Um, the other guy went away to a camp in Virginia to work. Um, so when my sister got, you know, graduated that weekend, Wayne was with this other girl. She wasn't graduating, but he was with her. And my family is, because they've been hearing me whist, you know, whist, being wistful over him, desiring relationship with him, if that's God's will kind of thing. Um, they're talking to him and saying, you should talk to Michelle. And he goes, no, I'm not talking to Michelle. You know, you should, you should talk. No, 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 I'm not. So I watched the weekend unfold. Um, everybody is going to the dorm to pack up their things. I saw Wayne say goodbye to his little girlfriend and drive his car away, you know, in front of the academy. I could see it from my sister's room. My grandma was with me and she's my source of love. That's where I got my love from. You know, Uh I had one person that I knew loved me no matter what. And she looked at me and he had just driven away. And I know he was going up to work for his uncle and Brainerd. I mean, I know everything about him. And she said, oh, Shelly, how are you doing? And she goes, do you think? And I said, you know what, Grandma, if, if he's the one for me, Jesus will work it out. But if not, he must have somebody else for me. And that's okay. And I started to cry. And probably less than 10 minutes later, I mean, I, God let me kind of sit in that for a while. Um, uh-huh. Not very long. There was a knock at my sister's door, and it was Wayne. <laughs> I, it was way knocking and he goes hey I've got a card a graduation card from my parents for Lisa um, and of course Wayne's ever the helper you know so he gives her the card and you know, here he is with me and my mom and dad we never did talk um, he said can I help you guys you know I'll help you load Lisa's stuff up you know and down at the bottom of the stairs in the back of the dorm. He's helping us go up and down, third floor, blah, blah, blah. And uh-huh. when it comes time to go, and he has his own truck, and my mom and dad are in theirs, and my whole family, you know, is going to leave, he looks at me and he goes, you want to ride with me? And it's like, yep, I do. <laughs> you bet I do. <laughs> and he said, well, you know, I'll go to Brainerd from St. Cloud. Then you can hop in the car with your mom and dad. And so we just talked, 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 talked. And I mean, it's 45 minutes, 50 minutes to St. Uh-huh. Cloud. We weren't done. So he decided, ah, I'll go to Alexandria, you know, another hour and a half up the road. And then I'll angle over to Brainerd from there. He had to work the next day. And we stopped and ate. He didn't want to let me go, so he ended up driving me all the way to Fargo. Stayed, We stayed up all night long talking and more, but talking. He left at like 5 o'clock in the morning. By the time he left, we were going to get married. And I I just knew that if, <laughs> if he ever came back to me, that was God's sign. You know, without either one of us doing anything to approach the other one, that was my sign that he's the one for me. Um. God has this in his plan, and I'll trust him with it, even though these things that I didn't like about him were not on my list. You know, it's like, well, this is God's list. So so you're you're 19 at this point? I think he told me in his podcast. I'm 19. I'm 19, and I stayed 19. We got married and so he's quick. he's 20. Yep, he's 20. Yeah, we're 11 months apart. All right. So let's talk about expectations and disappointment right as like how quick did that start the honeymoon. in your marriage <laughs> the 
honeymoon. <laughs> it was it was bad. Uh, I mean, wait, let me ask you this: On your wedding day, were you just like, "Oh, my wedding this day is was perfect. Awesome. This yeah, can't go great. wrong." Like, like this is the guy, and then like two, three mm. days later, you're back bickering. Well, no, it wasn't bickering. Actually, we didn't do a lot of bickering that first year. It was just um, Wayne drove really fast. He still drives fast, but he honestly, he just, I figured out that he's a frustrated race car driver. You know, it's like he's heavy on the gas. He's quick on the brake, makes me very sick, but he would get, God's hand has been on him since he was young and God was disciplining him. He would I mean, he's, he ended up in jail at least twice before we got married. Um, and he did not have a license when we got married. He had a work permit only to go to work because they took his license away for too many speeds. And he had spent hundreds. <laughs> he of was hundreds. in jail. He was in jail. Yeah. When he was a junior for speeding, for going too fast. I mean, there was a, there's another story, which is rather awful, but I'm going to tell it anyway, because it's fun. But it was when uh, Lauren was born um, and we were, it was a Holy Spirit seminar and the Holy Spirit was so heavy. Oh my word. And both of us were just, we had our own business on his way from the church after it finished. It's like Satan just went after both of us, you know, he, he was getting on the interstate started going too fast. He'd already, I mean, in Iowa, 56, you get a ticket for, and every time he went 56, he would get a ticket. Um, if he had a head laid out, he would get a ticket. If he had, if he rolled a stop sign, he would get a ticket. It was like, we were constantly under this financial burden of insurance and tickets and whatnot. Anyways, he got stopped for going 65 on the interstate. He was just getting on and he, he had realized he was going too fast because he was wanting to be obedient to the laws. He was trying. Um, he got arrested, taken to jail, strip searched, orifice searched, and then he got to make a call to me. And I didn't have a phone and he called his dad. Anyways, it was just like, and all of this judgment type stuff, the stuff that Wayne would get in trouble for, most people didn't. Um, I don't know how much he told you about our financial stuff, but our financial world was always attacked. Um, always. And both times we, we filed bankruptcy two different times on two different businesses. And those are, you know, ego things for a man, you know, but he, I would look, I looked at him and Dale's brother-in-law, Wayne's brother, both of them had a printing business, started at the, the same time. We did things smarter and better, I thought. You know, I'm just a kid, but, you know, I thought we worked, and we worked harder, and yet we went down and he went up. And it's like, we had an opportunity at the end of that to go into the ministry, sort of. Wayne was telling me at that point that maybe God had a call on him, but it wasn't ministry. He was thinking he might be a boys' dean and get into church work that way. And I remember we, I, I worked through that and it's like, okay, but we, he didn't ever pursue working for the church at that point. Um, hmm. 
had we, oh my goodness, so much better than later because later we had six kids instead of just three and we owed hundreds of thousands of dollars instead of just 30, you know, and yet it was the point. Just because of, of a business? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had a wow. business for seven years and then that's part of the business story coincided with the loss, you know, of his confession to me too, or my asking, um, all, right, all of that. Don't jump ahead the there. Okay. So, okay, so back right to, from the jump, right from your marriage beginning, uh, um, there's, there's, so, so we got stuff. almost arrested for, because it was a snowstorm. We got married in December. Um, the very first thing that I learned, you know, as a wife is to, you know, you're supposed to obey your husband. My dad had, you know, I've been under my dad, you know, and we had all these wedding gifts. We had a truck, but we didn't have enough room in the back of our truck for all of our stuff. And we were going back to college. I was in the middle of nursing school. I had one year left and we were going to live in college housing and we need to somehow get all of our new stuff to our new apartment. Um, So we didn't have enough room. And my dad had this little trailer that he had built, I think. And Wayne didn't want to take it. He wanted to use the little bit of money we had to rent some kind of U-Haul that we would turn back in after it was all done. And I said, no, 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 no. Mom and dad will come down and visit us sometime and get it. And it's free. And Wayne just kept at me. And I I just defied him. Well, <laughs> it, it had no lights, no tail lights, So that was... One of the ticket things, you know, is that we didn't have any taillights. We were driving in a blizzard, and Wayne's a really good driver. He's had to get out of a lot of scrapes because of driving so fast. And it was blizzarding. It was icy. We were east of um, Minneapolis going towards Chattanooga, towards Chicago, and it was just glare ice. And the best traction was on the side of the road. So he took off with the truck and the trailer behind us. On the side of the road at 60 miles an hour when everybody else is going 20. And there was a cop car stuck in the traffic. And it they put their lights on and he did a, you know, talk to yeah. a loudspeaker thing. And it's like, brown Toyota, take, you know, get off at the next exit. And so we did. It was sleeting. Um, and during the time that we went, he told us that until we got up at the exit. We had to switch because he said, I will go to jail, you know, if we don't switch. And so I had to crawl over him and take the wheel and he crawled underneath me and the guy pulls me into the car. I remember being so embarrassed. It's like, this is me. I don't do anything wrong. I surely wouldn't drive 60 miles. And I'm sure he knew that. You know, I'm sure he knew that I wasn't the driver. So he asked me for my license. I, I'm shaking. I'm crying. Wayne tries to get in the front seat with me. And the the officer goes, get in the back. You know, and so Wayne's in the back. He's sticking his head. He goes, officer, I made her do it. And I'm thinking, you bet you made me do it. You know, it's <laughs> like, and the guy goes, he goes, this is at least a $200 fine, which for back then that was like, all of our money for our honeymoon, you know. And he goes, first off, you don't have any any taillights on that trailer. Second off, so you did were, you get the U-Haul or was this your dad's U-Haul? It was my dad's little. It was a little trailer. 
just a little wooden box on top. So of then Wayne was he was upset at you for making him take this trailer? Yes, somewhat. It was one of those things that he could say, I told you so, because by the time the end of this story, it's way worse than that. And it all has to oh, do no. with the trailer. So so he got some, you know, we had to fix it. And it cost us money to fix and put trailer lights on the back. Um, the guy, and then Wayne says, then he wants Wayne's license. He wants to see Wayne's license, which, of course, he doesn't have one. You know, he has one for work only, and this is not work. This is getting to our new life. And so he goes, mm-hmm. you know, I don't, I don't have one because <laughs> I can't find it on me, blah, blah, blah. And then the guy goes, okay. And then he starts listing, you know, like four infractions that he could put me away for. And then Wayne's really, you know, it's like, oh, can I, t-? you know, it's almost like, are you really going to let me take the beef for this? You know? And finally the guy says, well, you know, consider it my wedding gift to you. He goes, you better pull off, stay overnight, figure out what you're going to do with this trailer, and then you can keep going. Um, so we got to, so then we got to Chicago the next day. So we had no ticket. It was a warning on my license. We got, we got to Chicago and the tire, tire went flat. So we had to do something about that. Then we, two, you know, four hours later, we're in Indy in Indianapolis and something else goes wrong with the trailer and we have to fix it and we have to leave all of our belongings. Then we get to, I think it was Nashville. Something else happened. I mean, it was just like, and then we lived on hillside apartments and we had to go up this steep hill to the top, to the top of the hill behind the library. And Mm -hmm. our fifth gear went out. Oh, one of them was the leaf spring broke and the Holy Spirit I know it now, but back then I didn't. Wayne's dad said we could have anything in his camp, in his garage. There was this great big chain, huge chain, you know, great big links. And I was thinking we could use it for on the tires or something. And Wayne's going, no, that doesn't work for tires because we don't need this. And, but he left it. He left it in the trailer. It's what held our the box onto the axle because the whole leaf spring, every, the leaf spring went out. The tongue came off. I mean, everything that could happen to that stupid trailer. This sounds like a comedy, a a terrible comedy movie. The very last was our fifth gear of of our truck went out. And that was, we had just gotten it fixed. And so it was under warranty. And we were supposed to be in in Florida. Uh, We were supposed to drop all our stuff off, go down to Florida, spend our honeymoon with his family. That's the other part. It's like, we were never alone. We had one night. And after that, we went to his aunt Diane's house stayed in their single bed, extra bedroom, went skiing with them. From there, we went to spend the rest of our honeymoon with his family, my family. It was Christmas. So, no, nothing worked very well so, at all. As a, I mean, we could tell these stories are crazy, but um, I want to get into this thing here. Yep. From the time you get married to the time he... Uh, like this, this thing happens and there's this confession. Describe to me your marriage and how it was going and how you were reacting to the expectations that you had. And it just early marriage into this like. thing. Yeah. What, and, and what, how are you reacting and, and behaving to how he would treat you? Um, he's a really hard worker. 
Wayne's always been an incredibly hard worker. It was at a time when I never, I never thought I would be poor. I always thought I would be rich with Wayne <laughs> because he was smart. He was a hard worker. He knew everything. I mean, he knew so much about construction that I thought there's never going to be a time when he doesn't have a job. When we got to, it was the early 80s. It was 1980. Um, Ronald Reagan had just come in and the mm. economy was in the tank. Um, interest rates for buying houses and anything else were, you know, 18 to 23%. There was no building going on in the entire nation. And so it took him a long time to find a job without a college education. Um, I was in college. He was not. He had kind of given it up because he knew he knew everything that he, that he needed to know to run a business or construction, whatever. Um, our first year was in college, you know, the first year and a half of marriage, we were in in Collegedale, so we weren't around either one of our parents. Honestly, I feel like we did really good. I mean, I got pregnant eight months in. Um, before we moved from Collegedale, we had Christopher. Uh, he was four months old. I felt like our lives were good. Um, I felt like they were good. I felt like we were having growing pains. We would have occasional fights, but it wasn't like before. Um, we were happy. Um, he was super happy to be a dad. That was something, I mean, I came from a family of five kids and we wanted a big family. Um, and we got started quick. We got to Iowa. His dad was our pastor. Um, they kind of set us up financially and something that was too expensive for us, but it was right next door. And we had Christopher, the business thing didn't go well. I, I got a job at the University of Iowa, but I didn't want you know, he's not what are they, Mr. Mom. Wayne would never do that. So I was surrendering Christopher, you know, our firstborn, over to somebody to babysit whenever I was working. And that just didn't sit with me. I mean, my, my goal in life was to have a happy, happy family, a wonderful marriage, kids that loved Jesus, a husband that loved Jesus, a husband that loved me. I mean, that was, I had given up going to med school for that dream. That's what I wanted. I wanted what I didn't get. And I figured Jesus could do that. Um, almost as soon as we moved to Iowa where his parents were, and we ended up there for 14 years. We never got to leave. <laughs> it's like, it was, you don't realize it as a kid that you can't just up and leave, you know, especially when you have children. Um, I was super lonely um, he was back with his parents, so this is great for him. Um, their family and how their family works, they're very work-oriented, and mine isn't as much. Um, I work hard, but I'm not, you know, my family was never involved in church that much. And so I was watching how a pastor's family works, you know, from the inside. Um, I wasn't just at church, I was part of the pastoral family which, you know, you, you're not supposed to, you're in a glass bubble or a fishbowl. And yeah, it got really real then. Um, timing wise, um, within less than a year, things were so bad that he was going to, he was going to leave me. Um, I went to his parents and said, he's doing this. I don't know what to do. And so his parents came and talked with the two of us. 
his dad said, I've got somebody in the church. Would you be willing to meet with her? She came. You already have Lauren at this point? Nope. We just have Christopher. Just Christopher. So it's just one. But from and, what and I what know. Was the, what was the friction? He was involved with somebody at that point. But when you we, didn't know this, right? I didn't know that. I didn't know that so, for another six, eight years. So it was just affecting his behavior towards you and you could feel yeah. that and how he wants to take off. Yeah. And I didn't learn healthy ways to relate. You know, I am my mother's daughter. I'm blaming. I'm shaming him. I'm he's a hard worker. But what that translates into is he's never home. And from his standpoint, it's like, well, it takes a lot to start a business and it takes a lot to provide for a family. And um, and it takes, a, you know, then he got involved at church and he was leading every single thing that you could lead as someone that's only 22 years old. You know, he was serving how he grew up knowing that you're supposed to do. You know, he was the youth director. He would he was scheduling. So every minute of his life was just very, very active. And it, I didn't figure in it. I didn't feel like I figured in it. And so when he told you that he was, he was thinking about taking off, were you surprised? Did you see it all coming? And you're mm -mm. just like, well, this no, is I what's going on. No, I didn't think it was that bad. No, I didn't. I didn't see it. In fact, I was, I was stunned. I was, I remember I was at work I worked five days in a row. I worked Thursday through Tuesday, every other week. And I remember just having this leaden, I, I was I was stunned. I was, yeah, I, I, I could hardly even, yeah, I, that was horrible. <laughs> and that's when I got his parents involved because I always felt like, because my family was not Adventist, I, I And because I broke up with him so many times, I always felt like they looked at me as the problem and I wasn't, I didn't feel loved by them. I wasn't good enough. And so um, I wanted to cast a little doubt on their son. You know, it's like, it's not just me. He's the one that wants to leave. We met with this gal and when we were in Hawaii, he shared basically, he, he wasn't even willing to do anything. And Wayne's parents were like shocked. I was shocked at how hard-hearted he was towards me. Uh, he'd never been like that. And I didn't know what to do. And this lady met with us and she said, she asked him, she goes, are you willing to ask God to change your heart? And he said, no. And oh. she goes, are you willing to be made willing for God to change your heart? And he said, no. And she goes, are you willing to be willing to be made willing? <laughs> it was just like this. <laughs> and when it got far enough in the willings, he said, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. So he did pray. And it changed almost immediately, so quickly, his attitude towards me, that we were okay for a while. As he's just like, I'm done with you, what is it doing to your value and what you believe about yourself? Or were you just mad at him? No, it was, it was shaking me to my core. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know where it came from. Although, you know, 
I wanted, we were so poor. <laughs> it's like, not just a little bit poor. We are so poor um, that I didn't know how we would hire somebody to be our counselor. And one thing with Wayne and his family too, it's like, you don't go to counseling. You don't, you know, you just don't do that. So for us to even go once was huge. But as soon as he felt better, I'm not going anymore, you know. So we didn't get any more help after that um, for what was wrong. He just, he was better towards me. I didn't really know how to do things any different. So things really, you know, then you have babies, you know, and babies, you know, one after another that just really, you know, you just get busy in doing life. Um, and it's a real strain on your relationship. So, so. So as this is going on, and he feels better, and and, and hearing his story on, on his episode, uh, I don't think we went into this too much. We kind of glossed over these years just like that, you know, he was off doing things he shouldn't be doing. I'm imagining the guilt, shame, condemnation made him feel like, oh, like, this is this, and then it died away, and you guys, then you... And you had your own problems and your marriage just wasn't going well. Um, but like in between him coming out and saying, yeah, I've done this thing. Did you suspect that this could be happening or is just like he's mad at me and I'm mad at him and we just don't get along? No, it never, ever crossed my mind that he would even that first time I I thought it was all me, that gaslighting thing. You know, when you would have when you would have arguments or whatever, one of Wayne's best tricks is playing the martyr. You know, he would because he is so good <laughs> on his own. He's just so good. You know, he's a he was he was always busy doing stuff for church. He was an elder, for goodness sakes, at 26. You know, it's like I remember thinking you shouldn't be an elder, not because I thought anything wrong of him but just because you know things aren't going that great Actually. at home you know do you really think you should um elders are wise uh that kind of stuff um <laughs> everybody liked him he's charismatic um no i never i never thought that i never thought that he would be unfaithful to me i never did and so um I, I would think that because I was the one that would get angry, I was the one, you know, so I was trying to fix myself all the time. You know, I'm, I'm reading every book I can. I'm, I, one thing that I feel like has kept me in listening to Jayla's testimony has kept me sane is from the time, you know, I was very young. I have met, yeah. I have, I've maintained my time with Jesus all the time. It was extremely hard when you have children. It's so, so hard. And then I would feel guilty and my days would go bad. But, you know, it was more of a, I need to do this. I remember when I first learned that, you know what, Jesus is just waiting for you to come back, just like the prodigal son. He's waiting. You don't have to punish yourself by not coming to Jesus in the morning. He's not going to be angry with you. He wants you back come back sooner, you know, because I would stay away and then things would be bad where everything was going wrong. Everything 
you know, my husband, I, we are fighting a lot. All the things that I was doing with my mind and reading and all the things that you know to do right, we're not producing good fruits. And that's what the Holy Spirit said to me. It's like, um, do you really, <laughs> do you, do you think you can do it? And it's like, no, everything I've tried, I'm, I'm to the end of my resources, the total end of my resources. And that's when I chose to just throw in the towel, go back with Wayne rather than get divorced. Um, and say, okay, God, what do you have for me? I have no idea what to do. Um, I'm, Were you considering divorce at that point? Mm -hmm. What I had left. I had left and I had been gone for over two weeks and I had gone to my mom's. So he came to get me. We started fighting like crazy with him one night. You know, and here I was, I was thinking everything was better. My mom helped me with my marriage, which prior to that, I kept a lot of that to myself. Um, so the next morning, he gave me an ultimatum. That was the first time he'd ever stood up to me. You know, it's like, you either come back with me or, or we're done. And to be faced with the death of a vision for me, it's like, didn't God tell me to marry him? You know, um, I believe God had, even though things were bad. Um, do I want to support my three children and share them with some other, you know, with just that whole awful. And it's like, no, I don't want that. But I didn't kind of like the pink sparkly bubble of Morgan's. You know, I don't want to let everybody know how bad it really is. But at that point, it didn't matter. You know, it was like me and God wrestled it out. And that's where he said to me right before dawn, he just said, Michelle, he goes, if Wayne never loves you like you need to be loved, can my love be enough? But during that three and a half years before I realized, um, and it came from my family, um, somebody in my family said to me, you know, as, as I said, something like, well, Wayne would never do that to me. And they said, are you sure? Um, I have it under pretty good authority that you might want to find out for sure. And that put a so, doubt, so that this put is, a doubt in my house. That's three and a sure. half years later. And during this, so three, three and a half, you come back home, and then in a few little bit, someone kind of warns you that this might be happening. That's and you three didn't and a half wanna... years later. That's another thing. Oh, okay. The three and a half years was of walking, learning to walk in the spirit by myself. Um, I wasn't by myself. God gave me women that I yeah. became part of a prayer group, but I was walking in the spirit, and Wayne was not. Um, and he was continuing to live the stuff that we're talking about later. Was, was the, when you came back, did the, did your, um, did you guys start getting along a little bit better or you're just like, we're going to tough it through even though we're just, we're not really happy. I don't know. All I know is that I was different and I, it was a little bit before I started to get hope that God was actually that he had changed me, but he had, I mean, this was a new thing on my part. Um, I know I was surrendered in a new way that I had never been before. Cause you had um, been broken and I had gotten to the end of yourself. And when you get to the end, God shows up and it's like, he transformed me. He transformed me from needing 
you know, but to walk that out, uh, he gave me some women to walk it out oh. with. Uh, we all called it being turned around. The Bible calls it being born again. It's supernatural. I felt like at first nothing had changed, except for I just made a decision to go back. But everything had changed. You know, the the, the story of um, Mary Magdalene on The Chosen, where she goes, I was this way, and mm-hmm. now I'm that way, and the only thing that happened was him. And in between, it's like, that's what happened to me. Um, that's what happened to me. And I don't know that it got better because I think the enemy kind of seeks to steal back, you know, ground that he's had to surrender. Um, Wayne didn't want, I I remember thinking at one point, it's like, how come I always have to be the one that loves or does the right thing or this or that, you know, in my mind, I'm, you know, wrestling with God. And he goes, because you're the one that's listening, you know, you're listening to me and you have to be the one to be the forgiving or the this or the that. Um, It was a rough three and a half years. Um, But he he later told me, he goes, I didn't want to give you, I didn't want to give you any encouragement that I saw changes in you, but you had. You had changed, and I could see it. And it condemned him. And so when you feel condemned, you end up acting out too. Plus he had his own stuff to deal with that I didn't know about. But. So when we get to three and a half years later and, and someone tips you off, hey, yeah. um, what happened? Felt much the same, but not quite as I did way back, you know, when he wanted to leave me. Um, it was different. It seemed to me that he denied it at first. And he's by this time, it's really kind of scary, but he's really good at lying, you know, Um the fact that I couldn't see it. But then he took, I don't, I don't even remember if we went on a date or what. We probably did, I don't know. But he confessed. But he just confessed one relationship. And he was truthful. And I could tell that he was scared. And this right thing, you know, <laughs> you know it's like Jesus says to forgive, that you'll be forgiven. To me, it's like my walk with Jesus meant to forgive him. Um, the fact that my mom was still with my dad, you know, 25, 30 years later, and I'd already seen that kind of walked out, even though not very happily, um, that was an example to me that you don't have to walk away, that you don't have to lose your family because of this. Um, was it ever a question that you were going to forgive him in your mind or just because you had known God and you'd been walking with God and or knew you are just like, no, no we're, I'm going to forgive him. It was instant. I, I, it was, it was instant. Um, it was like a, it was like a, a, an aha light bulb that I finally understood our whole relationship. <laughs> it was like, I, I finally got it. And like I said, I'm very mind oriented. <laughs> um, but this mind thing changed to walking in the spirit you know, the three and a half years before. And when I saw, had I seen defensiveness or lying or, you know, justifying or blaming me, if any of that had come out of his mouth at that point, I think things would have been different. You know, I don't know. I think I would have given him a chance, but it's like his 
conversion. I don't know where that happened in relationship to the confession for him, but I know that from that moment on, I knew he was being real. This is the Wayne I wanted at the very beginning. I wanted someone that was real. Did the previous six years start to make sense on why the behavior was oh, yeah. like as all, as the truth is coming out about the different relationships, you're like, oh, I was being gaslit and believing all of this terrible stuff about myself. Right. 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 And it did. And it was, but it, I don't, that all kind of came later. It was just such a feeling of relief. Um, and it was like, all of a sudden we were on the same plane. We were on the same we're on the same walk. We're finally in sync, you know, and this spiritual pride stuff, you know, at, at this point for me, you know, he was admitting and taking responsibility for everything, which of course I loved him, you know, because he's the one that's acting wrongly, you know, and betraying and all the things I think, you know, I also felt, um, I could feel justified in being good. And right, you know, those kinds of things like being the forgiving one, you know, that came, temptations to do that came later. But, you know, Wayne, at one point, I remember him saying later to me, he goes, I was kind of reconciled to the fact that you would always have it over on me, that I would always be the wronged one, even though things that I had done, you know, in shaming language of disrespect to my husband of thinking I'm better or I'm more or I'm smarter or I'm all these things. It's like he had to just swallow it in order to, you know, for us to be happy because he was the one that stepped out, you know, not me. And so, but one of the things, um, probably within a month, maybe there was a book that I was reading and it, it, hit me right between the eyes of how I had my part, you know, my, the things that I did to hurt him, you know, the stuff that was my responsibility. And I, I went to him and I owned it and I confessed it. And he looked at me and he just, I mean, it was like the tears were coming in his eyes because he goes, I didn't think I would ever hear you say any of that. And so it, I, I was surprised, too, spiritually, how quickly he grew. Um, you know, he was always trying to catch up to me before. And it's like there wasn't any of that. It was like God was revealing himself to Wayne in the same way he revealed himself to me. This episode was brought to you by gospel-loving listeners just like yourself. If you want to ensure more of these stories are heard by people and help build season three of the show and beyond, we'd ask that you please give to our building fund that's helping support the future of the podcast. It takes equipment and software and time and all that good stuff to make this an amazing listening experience for your ears. So we just ask that you help pay it forward like the person before you did to keep these amazing stories of God's transformative love rolling. You can go to lovereality.org slash give and choose death to life as the option to help us keep reaching more people and ensuring more episodes. So when you start 
ministry and a husband doesn't just get to start ministry and the wife's not involved. <laughs> it's a team thing. You're the pastor's wife. You're a part of the, you're not just a part of the ministry. Yeah. You're in the ministry. Did the enemy ever attack you with, Hey, you know, you guys were broken. I bet you're still kind of broken. Or did you ever have a fight and think, Oh, we're still broken. Did the enemy attack in that way as you start your so, ministry? So my story, I have a story that's really awful. So right at this time when I'm so depressed, my aunt, my mom's sister, younger sister, who's been the black sheep of the family her entire life. Um, she's never had what I've seen, a spiritual bone in her body, and my mom wouldn't let us associate with her because she sang in bars. She was she was a singer, professional singer. Um, something happened to her. She ended up in a psych unit and then she came home and she was at a family gathering and she was telling us that she was saved, that she had given her heart to Jesus. My mom could not handle that. Um, and she smoked. I mean, it's very terrible to smoke and drink, you know, that's, that's one of the worst sins. And, um, and sleep with people that aren't your husband and those kinds of things. And yet, you know, I'd been both Wayne and I had been growing so much. And one of my, my counselor mentor friend from Iowa, she, as soon as we moved to Minnesota from Iowa, um, Wayne was starting a, a construction business over again, trying to redeem the one we were in way over. Anyways, it's it's part of it's part of our story in that once I understood that Wayne had felt called to the ministry since he was twelve, and here I've known him since he was fifteen, and he never told me that ever. And it's like when he finally told me and put all these pieces together, it's like, oh my word, you have been running for God our entire relationship. You, I felt like our whole lives. God gave me the picture of being in the belly of the whale. And it's like he'd been thrown overboard and we were barely sucking wind. And because I'm married to him, you know, you you suffer along with the one who you're married to. You know, and that's part of um, loving. <laughs> it's part of loving is that I'm willing to suffer for your sake so that you can, I would hope, <laughs> come to a knowledge of the love of God and know him too. So... So it starts to make sense. And it's like, well, of course, you know, and right about the same time, my aunt, we had been given this book, um, two books by Neil Anderson, and they had to do with um, victory over the darkness. Yes. Victory over the darkness. And the other one was Bondage Breaker. I would have never read Bondage Breaker had it not been for my mentor friend recommending this book to me. So you're reading this book. And at the same time, your aunt is is on well, some stuff. It's not the same time. Oh, okay. After I finished it. It was after I finished it. Oh, okay. And we were walking. Um I had done the steps myself. Nothing happened. Wayne fell asleep while we were kneeling by the couch. <laughs> and and it's like I felt like a new awareness, a new it's like I could see I could see. You know, and before I couldn't see with regards to spiritual authority. I would go to the story, you know, that story about Jesus and how he calmed the, the storm. And as soon as the boat landed, 
the demoniacs came out at him and the disciples run for cover and Jesus just stands there and puts his hand out and says, you know, no farther. And it's like, how did he know? How did he know that they wouldn't tear him to pieces? How does Jesus know that stuff? And it, the whole thing on bondage breaker has to do with authority. Uh, it's Ephesians 1, 2, 3. Uh, the authority that we have as children of God. I never understood that how I am seated with God in the heavenlies. It's positional. I have been given that authority with Christ, in Christ, and I have it. And so if I have authority, it's believing it and walking it out. So we started doing that, walking it out. Um, you claim the freedom that's yours in Christ. The very last, the rest of them are forgiveness and bitterness and stuff God had already done. But the last one was new to me too. And it had to do with generational sins. And because I knew that my dad had done what he had done, my mom, you know, I just, you know, anything that the Holy Spirit revealed to me is generational sins I confessed. So we're walking in this. And then my aunt at that family gathering, she tells me uh, she had a uh, vintage clothing store in her home. She provided clothing for uh, for musicals and dramas and, and, you know, the arts in Minneapolis. Um, and she had a demonic, there's there was stuff that was going on in her home where the clothes would come alive or the hats would start floating. Or, I mean, there were all kinds of things that were happening in her home that, and we had learned about cleansing your home quite a few years before. So I'm thinking because, oh, I just came across this bondage breaker stuff. Um, do we dare? Do we go? She's my family. And both Wayne and I, we had an appointment to go and cleanse her home, you know, pray over her home, claim her home for the kingdom of God. Um, and it didn't work. Um, it worked some. It didn't work completely. Sometimes it would, sometimes it wouldn't. Um, I mean, it was like you had to keep on grabbing it back. And why Why isn't her house cleansed? And so then you're wondering. So this became a journey of uh, mentorship from me to her and us to her. Um, this is the time where we lost our house. Wayne got, you know, it spanned a couple of years period. Um, we started pastoring. In a teeny little church, we lived in Hutchinson. The kids were going to school. Um, I would talk to my aunt almost daily, almost daily. And, and my mom was getting jealous because I had a relationship with my aunt. Um, the Holy Spirit was just leading me um, to lead her, um, praying the power of God. Uh, things were loosed. Um she was really needy, um, and yet God would use me. I remember one time, it was a Friday, um, we had looked for, she was going to do the Steps to Freedom. And so Mona had made a an appointment with them, to, and there were two ladies. And because her inventory, you do this inventory, she had... She had lived a pretty dark life. There was lots, there was lots there. Mm -hmm. um, I went there for a little bit of it. I mean, I had small children. So, um, but I, I went a couple times and during the two weeks, it was taking so long. Um, it was taking so long to go through it all. Uh, one of the ladies' husbands died during it. And then the other lady 
something else happened to her. Either she was in a terrible accident. So it, it waylaid it. She didn't even get to finish, you know, doing the steps. And that Friday she called me and she was crying. She goes, people are dying because of me, you know, because of helping me. And I remember by this time, it's like she had health problems. And because I'm a nurse, you know, I was helping her with that. But that was one of the other things besides her house, there were things in her body and she would go to doctors and they could not, they would say everything was perfectly fine, but she looked like she was dying. You know, and so there was this physical thing as well. And when she went to sing, we sang for Friday night. We sang, she sang for church Sabbath. And right at lunchtime, she started to die. Um, she started bleeding out of orifices that shouldn't have blood coming out of them. And she said, I, she goes, I'm dying, Shelly, I'm dying. And it's like, okay, what do we do? And we prayed, you know, I prayed over her. She was in the bathroom and it was like the Holy Spirit gave me the idea to, um, that there are elders, you know, bring the elders. If this is at the sick, women's retreat in the middle of the women's, women's retreat, retreat and she's dying in the bathroom. Okay. Yep. And so it's like, I, I go to the cafeteria and it's like, I need, I need anybody that's been, anointed as an elder to come. Well, of course, this is a time when hardly any women are anointed as elders, but there were a few. And they came, and she was bleeding out rectally. Um, She was pale. She was, I mean, and she sang sick. I mean, when she was singing, she was using all of her faith to just get up and sing. Um, The emergency vehicles came and took her, but as soon as it was like she said it, she goes, I'm coming back. You know, as soon as they put their hands on and prayed and anointed her with oil, whatever oil we could find, uh, she came back. And she, by the time we got to the emergency room in Brainerd, she was better, but she was very, very sick. Anyways, we ended up down, they transferred her to Mayo, to the hospital down there. I went with her. Um, somewhere in there, or right after there, she got baptized. And one of the things that she was always resistant to was joining a church. She never joined a fellowship. Never. She never did. Even she just died not too long ago within, which I don't, I'm not sure I would be free to share the story if she wasn't gone. Mm. Because I've, ever since, I haven't known what to do with it. Um, from Mayo, uh, she felt like she met with Satan. Satan was inside the lady that received her at the emergency room. Um, when we got, she was there for three days and no nurses would come in the room. I mean, there was nobody, they would, nobody checked on her. We were in there and she would get fluids and it was making her feel better because she was getting IV fluids, but nobody would do anything. And finally we, you know, it's like, we have to get out of here. (laughs) Nobody's doing anything for us. It feels oppressive. It feels like Satan's got us here for some reason. And Wayne, I called Wayne and it's like, you got to come and get us. Um, She's going to die here. She's going to die at our house, whatever, but we need to get out of here. So um, nobody even took her IV out. You know, we, we left. I am AMA um, from Mayo (laughs) and she got to her house. There was just a long period of nursing her back to health. She ended up going back to her, her own home. Just always seemed dark. It was always 
dark. But it was from that point on, after she was baptized, it was like I was her mentor, but it started to switch to where she was mine. Um, the miraculous was something very important to, you know, my mom, you know, and and also growing up Pentecostal, uh-huh. you know, I, I would watch things that were kind of miraculous and that's pretty convincing, you know, and it's like, what do I do with this? How do I, you know, when your senses are telling you one thing, anyways, um, the next year or so we're just going to different doctors getting, you know, it was, I was just always with her to the point of neglecting my family. There was a point that we had felt like we were called to be special for God. And it included Wayne at that time at the beginning, but eventually Wayne was not okay, you know, because he was either left out or, and this is why we are pastoring at this little church, you know, um, my kids are at the Academy. Um, and eventually there's a point where she, she doesn't drive very much and she's always sick. (laughs) Um, it seems like it was near Easter and she came to my house and she said that we had, it was time to flee. It was the time of the end and it was time to go. And she said, Wayne's supposed to stay behind. And she goes, she had kind of a big old clunker of a car. And she also said that certain of my children weren't okay. And so we would take the ones that were okay to bring with us. And Tyler was one of them. Alyssa was one. And I don't remember who the third one, if it was Katie. But Tyler was in the middle of being really sick. That whole illness uh-huh. story that he had, it was right in the middle of that. Um, he had come back from the hospital. And we forgot all his medicine behind. And we fled like we were you know, like, oh my God. You really believed her. Flee to the wilderness. I did. By this time, all the supernatural things that had happened, and there were a lot, there were so many, so, 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 so many. What did you, what um, did your husband think? He was losing me, you know, um, he was losing me and he didn't know what to do. And yet he knew that if he said anything, because I, I was always the one he would doubt himself, you know, because I'm the spiritual one. Yeah, still he guilt, still condemnation, shame. Yep, he was still in it. And uh, he couldn't stand up to it. And she took me during the middle of the day and the kids that I had. Uh, Wayne was not around. Um, we ditched my car somewhere. Um, and we left. And we drove. We just started driving. We didn't have any money. We didn't have any food. She knew that if she um, used a credit card or if I used a credit card, that people could track us. I mean, it was. What was your was What was really your plan deranged. as you're thinking about back in your mind? What were, What were you, What was your plan? There wasn't a plan. It was you know the Holy Spirit will lead us. The Holy Spirit will tell us what to do and where to go and how to feed ourselves and whatever. You know, it's like the Holy Spirit will do this. This brings up a point that I think is important for us to understand. And I know you understand it now. Inspiration is inspiration, not because of who says it, but because of what is being said. 
It's not who says it. So like there are letters and things that Isaiah and Jeremiah wrote that are not in the Bible because what was being written was not inspired. They were writing a friend or, you know, there are prophets that we have in the Bible that, but not everything they ever wrote was inspired. They were definitely inspired prophets. And the same with, you know, we could talk about different prophets, but not everything they wrote was inspired. What is inspired is the things that are tested against scripture and the Holy Spirit. And so we can't, go blindly and read something and just say, oh, well, it's coming from this person who we've thought was inspired. Is this match up? And for me, this wanting to be special in God's eyes, you know, this path that I thought I had, this, the Adventist church, I think was part of all of this too. You know, it was right. It was there. There's a spiritual pride about Adventism in regards to where the last, especially in my day, you know, we have the truth, yeah. you know, and I remember asking Jesus, what is the truth? And I got a great big answer from him that is still ongoing. But back then the truth was the Sabbath. Yeah. And we have all these other truths that take 27 fundamental beliefs in order for people to understand them all. And so, you know, I, I was in a position of being, of wanting to be a Daniel, uh, a Joseph, uh-huh. uh, whatever, that beguiled me and then my own spiritual pride that in spite of the fact that the word of God said this, I will listen to her instead. And at one point it was like we gave up the Holy Spirit. We gave up. I mean, it was just like we were started. We gave up most of the Bible. Um, pretty soon it was just down to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and Acts was in question, you know, and all of a sudden it's like, Oh, how, you know, how did I you, am, how, what happened? <laughs> I've been sitting here thinking so, like, what, how is this going to end? Cause we're having a podcast so we now, were, so I'm sure it ended, but we were driving, um, we were driving near Brainerd. Um, it was close to the place where we got remarried. We got remarried. Wayne and I got remarried at some point where we started over again. Um, but that was many, many, you know, 20 years before. So we're, we're driving and then we're on this. It was surreal. Everything about it was like we were in a different dimension. Um, you even wonder if you are where you are. Uh, we were on a gravel road and we passed this one car that went really slow and she was driving. And she said, and they were going to come to us. Um, Granted, I have to tell you, I mean, that bondage breaker thing, there were lots of things in there where we had been walking in freedom prior to all this, but then it switched, you know, and yet we didn't know it. You know, I didn't know it. Um, There were more and more supernatural things that would happen. Um, And she, she said that was Satan. That was Satan driving the car. Oh, and she goes, we can't stop. And it was just like, so then you're going, and then I've got kids in the back seat, you know, but at that point I'm all in with her. Um, I know it's damaged Alyssa a ton. Um, Tyler, I don't know. And the other one, whoever it might've been Nicholas. Um, I had to renounce what I did over them because they may not remember. I don't know. But in the end, um, we ended up sleep. We got away from them through various things that we had learned to do and say and prayers and whatnot. 
We ended up sleeping under the awning of the church because we believe the Seventh-day Adventist church. And what God had said to me that one day is that the Sabbath gives us a protection that Satan hates. I mean, that's part of what Roger Marno taught us too, is that Satan has just an intense hatred for Seventh-day Adventists because the whole law, it's like the ladies that were leading her into freedom, both of them were Sunday keepers. And that particular day when she was crying, how come everybody's getting hurt? And I said, but I'm not. And I'm walking the closest with you of anybody. And that's the Holy Spirit revealed well, that, to me. That's what you believe. That's the, why you're under this honoring, man. I was being protected, you know, and, and then you go back to the Old Testament and it says that, you know, the children of Israel were protected. They were protected until Balaam didn't just curse them. He couldn't curse them. He led them into sin through sexual perversity. Anyways, so we, we slept underneath this awning, not knowing what to do. My mom and dad live an hour away. And here Tyler is without his medicine. He's not healed yet. Um, and Mona decides, she goes, it's time to take you home. And we went, you know, we needed food. So we went to her sister, my mom. We went there. And of course, by this time, the police have been notified. Um, they found my car. Um, there were certain people in Hutch that knew about it, but it was the next day. So this is like two days into it. Um, my mom had been called in case we came there. Um, she was to let the police know or let Wayne know. And as soon as we got there, um, we were hungry, <laughs> you know, um, Tyler was very sick. Um, and my mom was bad. You know, it's like, I'm not supposed to trust her. Being bad means you can't trust them. And you believe um, this with your whole heart. I did. I did. Yuck. It's so yucky. Um, when did you, and I want to jump, I want to jump forward here a little bit. When did you see how deep the deception was? Because I mean, we, within a, go ahead. Within about a day or two. Um, then Mona felt like she goes, it's time for me to fight on my own. I'm going to take you home. You're not part of this. And it was like somewhere in this journey, it was about two or three years long. Um, we had read a book together about a woman who had been a witch and she came to Jesus, but she was pretty high. There's in this whole dark side that I've never been a part of, you know, the bondage breaker kind of opened the door for me to go there, but it was because it was my aunt, you know, and it's like, I, I thought it was instant, easy peasy, you know, um, so in this book, it's this girl that was a witch, and then she ends up in the home or being mentored by this Christian nurse. I mean, by the time we were done with the book, it paralleled us so perfectly. Um, and she goes, wow, they would really understand, and it really gave us a lot of insight and blah, blah, blah. So she goes back. Um, she takes me home, and my mom prom makes me promise. She goes, you make sure you take your kids and yourself back to your husband, you know, and my mom was, you know, you get back right now. And so Mona took me home. She dropped me off. She went back to her house in Minneapolis. And from that point on, I felt like 
an evil spirit had entered into me. I felt like I was bipolar. I mean, I was just like all over the place. And I knew, um, I knew, well, actually it wasn't there yet. Um, within a day or two, Wayne's dad came because Tyler was really sick and his deliverance was at hand. <laughs> um, Wayne's dad had talked with someone that would eventually be the curative piece for Tyler. A lot of the stuff that I had done with Tyler were things that we had learned along the way in, in helping Mona to get well. Um, and she was well enough at this point. She goes home and I had keys to her house. Um, I'm coming home and Wayne and I are tangling over all of, you know, why did you do this? Blah, blah, blah. He's treating me like I'm normal, <laughs> but I'm but I'm not, but he knows that I'm not normal and what in the world happened and I'm telling some stuff. And there was, I don't remember if Wayne's parents were there or not, but it was like, I'm done. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to go follow her. And so I left my family. Um, I left my family. I left my husband. I left my family. I was going to yoke up with her. This is after being, you came back from Brainerd. Yep. Yeah. Within about a day. Or two. That you were going to leave really your fast. family again. Yeah, but this time it was just me. This time it was just me. I didn't bring any kids along with me. I took the car. Wayne knew I was going. I left. It was like right after the kids had gone to school. Um, I went to her house. And I walked up her back stairs. She lives in a bad part of Minneapolis. Went up the back stairs. Um, I tried to call her and she wouldn't answer. I hadn't heard from her since she had dropped me off. So it might have been more than just a couple days. Um, she wasn't communicating with me at all, which was not normal. And I was wondering how she was. So I left Wayne as if I was leaving him, you know, to go move in with her. I, I don't remember having a suitcase, but maybe I did. Um, I went up the back stairwell. And I had the key to get in, but she had it chained. She had two two locks, and I unlocked both of them. And then she heard me, and she stuck her nose kind of in between the door, and she just said, you can't come in here right now. You can't. She looked wild. Um, you can't come in. You go back to your car right now. You go back to your car, and I will come out. And when she came out, I remember I, it, was, it was winter. You know, it was March. And it was cold and I had my windows up, but it was as if the windows were down and she came at me doing something like this, mm -hmm. you know, kind of like Bruce naughty, naughty, yeah, you know, it was a, it was a something at me like, and she looked wild and she got to the window. I never, I never rolled my, my window down. Um, and she said, you have, <laughs> she goes, I will meet you. I can't talk to you right now. You can't come in. Uh, go meet me over at, there was a, a place to eat um, block away. She goes, meet me over there. I'll meet you over there. So I did. I left. I, I went over in front of that, that place and waited for out in the car with my car running. Um, that sign that she had done huh? to me, uh, the fact that I could hear her perfectly as if, my window was rolled down. Um, there was just a bunch of really weird stuff. But then there was a little word in my heart that I know that was probably the only thing God could do. He said, he gave me a picture of this book 
that we had read together. And he said to me, she's the witch. She had never confessed anything like that. And that whole story, she goes, she's the witch. She has to get free on her own. And that that whole thing, it was like that she had lied to me. And then he gave me a verse. And I can't I can't remember the, the verse that God gave me at the time, but it was like the truth will set you free or something like that. And it's like this is the truth. She has been using you um, because otherwise they would have killed her. Um, there was just, I mean, all of this is just so surreal. Um, I just remember that I hung on to that verse, whatever that verse was that he gave me. That was truth. It was, and I hung on to it. I clung to it. And I knew that Wayne would take me back. So I drove right back. You know, I was home by noon. Um, he was surprised to see me there. Um, he thought he had lost me forever. I thought I had left forever. But in that moment, while I was waiting for her, I realized that I was, I was duped. That she had to fight this thing out on herself, you know, by herself. And that I needed to go home. <laughs> Hence. Wow. Okay. I have two questions. Question number one, when do you think you went from understanding and walking this woman through biblical to being deceived and following another it was, spirit. It was when she refused to be, and, and we would have it, have a conversation off and on because to me, it's like, you, you know, that there's a protection here. You know, these are the truths, this truth, this truth, this truth, this truth. And she she started backing up. She started not claiming those things as truth anymore. But because I loved her by this point, you know, I'm, I really love her. Um, my need for love, like I told you at the beginning from my mom, had never been met. And, now and you so this need, yeah, it was her sister. So then when you, you know, got home, and your husband's there, how long did it take for you to realize, oh, this was a huge deception. I can't believe all of this. And did guilt, shame, and condemnation set in? No. Huh. No, it didn't. Um, consequences were setting in big time. But the very first thing we knew what to do, um, he took the afternoon off. We got our bondage breaker book out with all of those with all of that stuff, things that I'd learned along the way is that there can be demonic attachments to clothing, to movies, to um, all kinds of things. And I had tons of stuff from her, you know, that she had given my children and clothing. She had given me jewelry at Christmas time, a diamond watch, you know, all these meaningful things. Um, it's like the two of us took everything that we could find and got rid of them. It's kind of like one of the steps. You get rid of things that are dark, you know, and you throw them away or you renounce it. So we went to the Crow River. I threw away all the things that I threw it in the river, the stuff that she had, you know, the jewelry and the stuff that she'd given me that were specific to me. I got rid of, after we did the steps, it's like we went out and 
I confessed everything to him, just like he had to me. I was transparent. I recognized that I'd followed after her. Um, and then was, you know, after we finished going through all that, I knew that I was loved by Jesus. I knew that my husband was taking me back, but it was like a struggle for my sanity. Um, I spent all night long that night praying. I'd never prayed all night long in all my life. You know, I was praying for sanity. I was cling. I was clinging to the verses. He would give me one verse at a time. Um, and I would hang on to that one until he gave me the next one. And I would hang on to that as truth. I was still afraid. I was afraid to, I was afraid to read anything of Ellen White. She had been thrown out long away, long ago. Um, I was afraid to read anything except for Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You know, um, I was afraid she made me, she didn't make me. She told me to burn all of my journals, all of my, the journals that I communicate with God. And you had you done know, that? All of my conversations. I had done that. I had done that before we went on our car ride. So I had nothing to go back to, to read, to see if it was truth or not. You know, um, Wayne was praying for me, you know, constantly. And yet he was still doing stuff with me. At one point there was, you know, part of this grandiose, my dad has um, bipolar. I believe this is my personal opinion, just because of my own experience. Um, I believe something traumatic can open you up spiritually. And I, I believe some, some, if not all, many, I mean, I'm looking at it, but mental diseases in the West can be originated from evil spirits. And when you confess the truth, they have to leave, which is part of the bondage breaker. When people would get set free from a lie, you know, something would happen, you know, being thrashing or all the things that Jesus would see. Anyways, um, there was a point, and I know all my, my older kids remember it because they were in academy, all three of them, that year. Um, it's like we kept them all home. I told Wayne that Jesus was coming, and we all went down into our basement to live. We put water, you know, so I was being pulled back into that deception again uh, regarding Jesus coming, and that when the trumpet sounded then we could come up but we were supposed to hide for a little while in this ark of safety of our basement we kept all of our kids home that day from school so each one of them are dealing with this crackpot of a mother you know <laughs> saying that we have to live downstairs in the basement and we can't go up and that it's evil up there and you know that Jesus is coming and and I remember at one point uh, we had beds that we all made for ourselves downstairs and Wayne and I were sleeping together and I remember thinking it was really important for me to be one with him you know it was like part of this safety from the enemy is in my oneness with my husband who was standing. And so when we look back at this horrible time, um, I know, I know that I came back uh, disenthroned. <laughs> you know, I was no longer on the pedestal anymore. And that was needful. Um, but we went through a struggle of reality for me. Um, Tyler, we, we soon after that, got a mandate, you know, and so all of this really weird stuff with me, um, 
it was kept secret. I mean, our church never found out, you know, this little church that we went to. Um, my erratic behavior could be explained by Tyler's illness, you know, his having been to the hospital in Minneapolis, the fact that he could die, you know, all of this. It's like God put me under this covering of protection where nobody knew about it except for my mom and dad, um, Mona herself. Um, and your husband is just loving you through this stuff, even though he doesn't understand what's going on. And he's kind of hurting for you, I would imagine. I think he knew more. I mean, he'd have to speak to this um, himself. He knew more than he knew. I mean, he he knew what he was st struggling with Satan himself, you know, in me. Um, right after that, we got financing to, we, we found this doctor in Florida and our, our little church family surrounded us, laid hands on us that we would know what to do with regards to Tyler. Uh, we took him out from underneath the care of his, you know, we, we quit doing all the things and the medicines that would kill him long-term um, if they didn't heal him. Um, and we got somebody to come and stay with Christopher Lauren and Alyssa back at the academy. Wayne drove me down to, to Orlando. We had a place to stay with one of his family. And we started in treatment. So during that time... So you started Tyler in treatment? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And me. And me. Uh, we got enough money because I had autoimmune stuff going on ever since Nicholas was born. And so the two of us were in this little clinic. And it's like Jesus was just loving me back to himself. This man was Adventist. Um, he was bringing Ellen White back into the health treatment that... Tyler ended up doing, and I did. Uh, he totally changed my paradigm of Western medicine versus Adventist health. And I mean, my, my, my paradigm of healing um, completely changed um, from very Western medicine, you're sick, you take a pill, uh -huh. to, you know, all the other things, the body, mind, soul. Um, we were there for three weeks. I knew that Tyler... Uh, I knew that if he was spilling tremendous amount of protein in his urine, his, his kidneys were attacked to the point of dialysis almost, um, if things didn't change. And we go to this guy, and I knew that because we had just had the measurement done, it was a 24-hour urine, urine. Normal was 135 milligrams. He was spilling 5.3 grams. So it's five and a half thousand times you know more than what he was supposed to and i knew that if it went down to trace which is you know the 135 to 150 milligrams if it was a dipstick measurable it would be a miracle and within one week tyler was in miracle steps and he was well i want to get to this thing and <laughs> this story is wild but i want to get to this thing and when Tyler comes to you guys, and now by this point, you're from this moment in 2001, and these 15 to 17 years of doing ministry, and, and I told your husband that your mm. ministry has been a blessing, but you've gone through the woods of this this affair, and then this huge deception, and, and what's what you're believing about yourself and your aunt and all this, and you're coming out of those woods, and 
and then you're in this ministry, then all of a sudden your son comes to you and he says that my marriage is falling apart. Uh, and you're talking about, your husband said, talking about the generational sin and like the, mm-hmm. the, the guilt, condemnation, and shame hit him. Um, tell me about how you started navigating through that and then listening to what he was saying about the gospel. Um, after all of our walks, it would always make me fearful that our kids would also um, fall prey. Um, like I said, you know, renouncing the sense of your ancestors, that it can stop with us. Um, I remember the Holy Spirit before we actually started pastoring uh, full time. Um, it was during the time that we were waiting. Um, I remember the Holy Spirit saying, and it created just incredible fear in me, you know, that my kids would have to walk out their own walks, you know, that that there are consequences, just like with David and Bathsheba, there are consequences to your, to your sin. And um, it made me afraid for them. But then I would go back and it's like, you know, the Holy Spirit loves them. Just like he loved, you know, the God loves them like he loves us. And whatever is good is good from God's hand to them. And whatever that is and however that plays out in their lives, it's because God is dealing with them just the way he's dealt with us. Um, he'll bring you to a point of, of break, you know, of, of surrender. Some of us, it takes a lot less. Some of us, it takes a lot more. And it's like, whatever happens, I'm okay. We've walked this. We know that God is faithful. Um, And it came for me, actually for us, in being aware of um, the lust stuff, um, because I had Tyler's phone when he went to uh, Australia. And I didn't go very far before I quit reading it and gave it to Wayne or seeing whatever it was that I was seeing. And it's like, you know, here we are. Um, We know the one who has this in his hands. Um, Wayne kind of took care of it, I felt. Like he addressed it. of course, Tyler was way over in Australia. When he came back, that's when he met Morgan. Um, you know, a mom just likes, and women, <clears throat> I think, in general, tend to, uh, we don't struggle with that. And so we think if, you know, our husbands say it's over, that means it's over, not really realizing um, the temptation our culture, especially places in the mind's of men um, and just what a temptation all that is. Anyways, when it, when he told us that it didn't surprise me, it didn't surprise me. Um, The fact that he was walking out of it and that God was giving him assurance of his love and victory. Um, 
one of the tenets of our parenting that God taught us after turning around was that he's, he's got this and that one of the biggest things of his government is of freedom of choice. And we can't make or manipulate or change any of that, but God can, and that we can rely on him to do that in and for our kids, in and for our families, any of the things that we feel so totally out of control about. Um, And because if he would, you know, he was going to Jonathan, you know, people that we'd never heard of, you know, before, and yet we were seeing and hearing good fruits. You know, it wasn't until we sat down in his house and he was alone and Morgan was somewhere else. Um, We were staying with him and Wayne, Wayne had kind of put a muzzle on me <laughs> the whole time uh, when there would be people that would come for help regarding something similar. Um, I it, I did tell a few people along life's way, uh-huh. and I would get in so much trouble, so much trouble with him because I was betraying him by telling this story. So it's like what all God had done in our lives Um, I was unable to share. And honestly, it's just been hard to even drudge it even up because it's been so long and we haven't walked that way. But at the same time, um, even this past Sabbath, he was preaching and his sermon really had nothing to do with him and his sin. (laughs) He just brought it up. You know, I mean, that's the old man. That's the man I used to be. And it was like, now he can do it any old time he pleases, but I'm still kind of reeling with the fact that this is so, you know, and I'm, I've gotten used to not saying anything myself, you know, in terms of. Well, obviously, because that was the guilt, condemnation, and shame that's stopping him from, uh, and, and God has released us from operating from, from there. So you're in the house and, uh, and you're, and he, he wants to say, he wants to tell Tyler. So he had told him, I came into the room, I was upstairs, I came down, it was a Sabbath morning, and um, Wayne looks at me, and he's got kind of tears in his eyes a little bit, and he goes, I told him. I was like, oh, okay. And then Tyler had some questions for us. um, And Wayne was, you know, this shame thing is always there. You know, it was always there. And there was something about feeling, you know, there was some question that Tyler asked about me feeling loved or from, from Wayne. And, um, I looked at him and it was like, Wayne, you have loved me better and more than anybody else in my life. How can you not believe that I love you or that I don't remember exactly how it all came down, but Tyler's eyes just got really big. I remember he could probably speak to what I said because it was really momentous. Um, It was momentous in that I spoke healing. You know, I have been healed. We have been healed. Our household is healed. This is a detour. Um, regardless of what happened to Morgan or not. And I wanted their marriage to succeed. Um, But that doesn't define us. 
you know, it doesn't define Tyler. He was already finding his uh, identity in Jesus and not in her and not in porn, not in all those things. And it's like, you know, this is what I want. It's kind of the same, same kind of response as when Wayne, you know, confessed. It's like, this is what I want. This is, this is good. You know, it's almost like the upside down kingdom. I mean, what I'm seeing here looks broken, looks horrible in the flesh, but in the spirit, no, you know, there's rejoicing going on up, up in heaven over all these things. And, um, when it came to some of the things he would come home and say, you know, intervals, he would be home without her, or we'd see him or we'd talk to him on the phone, stuff that is from Dan Muller, uh-huh. you know, a lot of it is, or things he was learning as he's walking it out. Um, I was getting kind of scared because, and Wayne would caution me. He said, do you remember when we were throwing everything out? You know, we were testing everything that we believed as Seventh-day Adventists and as Christians. We were testing it. We would throw it out, and then we were free to bring it back in. That's one of the other things that we tell people. It's like you're not, you're not free to do something or be something until you're free not to. So when it comes to, you know, there's no force. There's no coercion. There's no manipulation in the kingdom of God. And so that means you are free. You're free to go off and do whatever. Because that's what freedom is. Freedom is freedom. And it's like, if he's listening to the Holy Spirit, he'll be back. You know, there's this road, you know, we go into one ditch or the other. But it's like, in the end, he's, God knows how to get us back on the road. What was the stuff that he was Um, saying that was making you nervous? The law, it had to do with the law. The freedom from sin didn't bother me so much as how that implicated the Sabbath. You know, all the things with regards to the law, you know, I'm, um, I don't remember some of them other than one time when he left, I, I have an hour commute both ways to work. And it's when I either call people or listening, listen to podcasts or whatever. And I said to Tyler, I said, send me, you know, if you see a sermon or something you're listening to, send it to me because you know, that way the link is right there. I can turn it on. It connects to my and I'll listen to it. And it was something from Dan Moeller. And as soon as I listened to Dan for just one sermon, which, of course, they're almost two, two hours long, <laughs> but one sermon, it was the pieces that were disconnected in what he was sharing with me that sounded by themselves kind of like heretical. It's like, no, 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 this is truth. This is truth. And it's like, I just listened and I started listening to anything and everything of Dan's because the truths that I was hearing, um, the lies in my, in my heart were so strong and the mentality of the culture of Christianity in general, um, with regards to our feelings and all these things. Um, I needed to hear the truth and I knew it was the truth because everything that came out of his mouth was scripture. And if you don't know scripture already, you might not know he's talking the word of God every word that comes out. But it's like he's just talking scripture, 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 scripture. And it's like I need to be immersed in this truth because it's different than what I grew up with. I remember he told me uh, because we would talk about it all the time and he would say, my mom loves Dan Moeller like she's getting it, bro. And I was like, 
really? And and he's like, yeah, she's just like listening to everything. Like, and I was like, that is what's up. And it's because he was speaking the truth so that the lies that you had been living with about, you know, whatever, how we can feel about ourselves or what our feelings actually yes. mean or it sin is. or, and, it, and you're like, no, yeah. no. And because it's kind of like what you had known is now being said in a way that you can understand and you're like, oh yes, this is truth. It was, it's more. And I think that's why the, and I believe it's righteousness by faith. I really do. I, I believe that's why he's able to preach in every single church, in any kind of church, anything that professes Jesus as savior, he can speak to in context of being free. You know, and what what did your husband think when you started telling him, did you say you should listen to this or? Yes. Yes. (laughs) Anything. So when (laughs) anything that I say should to, I mean, we don't live under shoulds. That's coercion and manipulation, you know, and and it's like so I had to be gentler, you know, and he doesn't like him as much as I do. He thinks he's kind of crazy, you know, because he does kind of crazy things and the way he preaches is totally different than Wayne. Wayne prepares, uh-huh. you know, and, and Dan is, you know, it's whatever the Holy spirit says he hones in on it. And it's like his life and his knowledge of scripture is what comes out. And so he's not afraid because he has no shame or guilt, you know? So Wayne will preach. He's always been really soft you know, he he wields a very if he has a, a hammer or a club, you know, of of some kind of something that people need to address in their lives, it's always with a bunch of pillows around it so that they hardly know yeah. that he's speaking a rebuke. And and maybe I don't know, it it was just flying in the face of his own. So he had to swallow some pride to listen to him, I think. Um he would never admit to me that he was actually listening to him. Um, <laughs> so I don't know. I didn't know if he was getting it or not because he wouldn't tell me. <laughs> he, we wouldn't discuss it. When did you uh, start just like listening to like wave one of love reality? Oh, um, you guys didn't have it on yet. There was no uh, Tyler gave us. He gave us a link before it was even out there, you know, so that we could start listening to it. So we did. And um, all in this, it seems to me that I don't know all the timing, but I'm pretty sure Jonathan came here and he and Tyler did something September of 2019. That's when Tyler was by himself. Oh, so this is before that. Jonathan came before that. Um, Tyler and Morgan... um, Eddie, uh, no, not Eddie came a little bit, but it was Christian. Christian came and stayed at somebody's house nearby. That was that time. That was September 19, right before Morgan uh-huh. turned around. But it was probably maybe the year before, sometime the year before he came. Just Jonathan presented the whole um, wave one, um, Adam. And it was new. He said it was kind of new to him. I mean, we were, they'd done it some, but we were within the first year or two of him going and doing these things. And so you're hearing that. What are you thinking? It's truth. (laughs) It's right on. I mean, it's just, I was excited. 
Um, Dan does other things. You know, he speaks to other things. Um, Jonathan is speaking to an Adventist audience. Right. Um, and so in that Adventist audience, um, he's speaking to things that I already, you know, it's like, amen, brother, amen, 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 amen. But then there was something that Christian and I over our countertop in the kitchen, and it had to do with the lock because I was still wrestling with the lock. And he got kind of this, I took it as a smirk. I hope he's not offended by this. I'm sure he won't be. He's free. <laughs> but it was like a smirk, like, I know something you don't know, and sometime you will get it, you know, kind of thing. And I and I remember being kind of offended, yeah. you know, like, you know, this lingo that everybody says about being free. And that after that, that's when I went to God and he said, you know, you know my voice. Why don't you just ask me if you're free? And I said, okay, Jesus, am I free? I mean, I'm thinking this. I said it out loud. Am I free? I was in my bedroom. And immediately the thought came. I thought I would be listening for a yes or a no, you know? And it was like, almost. <laughs> it was just like, okay, I can live with that. It's like, that means I had already been walking. This is in 2020 sometime, you know, it's like I'd already been walking. I could trust his voice. I know his timing is always perfect. It's like, whenever he's going to do this, I'll be free. You know, whatever it is that I'm missing, I will get it. And it's not my responsibility. It's his. And he knows how to talk to me. So I'll just wait. I can't make it happen. In the past, I would try to study my way into it. And I was like, nope, I'll just wait. And I just remember um, there were two different things that happened. One was um, the verse, and if if I'm going to encapsulate, I, and we never started there, but if I was going to say I have a life verse, um, it was at the very beginning of my real walk with mm -hmm. Jesus when I was 26 years old. God gave me this, and I started praying it. And it's right in the middle. It's uh, Psalm 51, 6. Right in the middle of the confession and the repentance of David with regards to Bathsheba. And, you know, all kinds of good verses are in there. Um, but this one I'd never really noticed before. And when I landed on it, it's one of those Holy Spirit, you know, mm -hmm. glowing kind of texts. And it says, Thou desires truth. In your inmost heart, therefore, give me wisdom in my sacred heart. Thou, meaning thou, Jesus, God, desires truth in my inmost heart. And then David is praying, therefore, give me wisdom in my sacred heart. When you look at it in different, that's revised standard version, and that's what I memorized back then. But what it has to do with is truth. He wants truth in my inmost being, in my heart of hearts. He wants me to love truth so much that it will produce fruit in me. It will produce the fruit of wisdom, which wisdom is walking it out in true life. And it's like, this is the essence of my life. This is what I want more than anything is truth in my inmost being. When I started praying it in my little prayer group, one of my friends gasped. She said, do you know what you're asking for? And I said, "I for truth? <laughs> and she goes, I don't think I could pray that one. And it was like, then it's maybe kind of scared a little bit. But then me and God kind of wrestled it out. And later on, I mean, truth was painful. Walking in the light 
is exposing the lies so that you can walk in the light. And it's like when someone starts to walk in the light and there's no fear, there's no shame, there's no guilt. You can be transparent about your past and your failures because that's not me. You know, it's like, and even in my present, the victories won in me are not mine anymore. You know, they're won by Jesus in me. And so, so what, fast forward, my other, my other favorite verse, and this one is the one where I start to get it. Uh-huh. Um, I think I listened to Johnny's Death to Life. And Johnny is very intellectual. And so we tend to come at scripture. I love listening to Johnny and all his unearthing of scripture. And it's like, we just... He was at the same place love. where you were with the law, I think. Yes. Yes. And he said something about how Jesus died 2,000 years ago. You know, why wouldn't I, why wouldn't I believe it? Why wouldn't I believe that what he accomplished for me? And one of the questions I'd had for God for a long time was, what happened at the cross? It doesn't seem like it's any different than before the law and after the law. We're still doing the same stuff. What happened? You know, I know it atoned for sin. I know all of this. But on our end, the power of God is not really... We're not seeing it like we did in the first disciples, you know, right after the cross. You know, we're not seeing that kind of stuff. It's like, what happened? And so I've been pursuing God with this. What all happened? Especially with regards, because my dad was Pentecostal, with regards to the Holy Spirit and manifestations of the Holy Spirit. And are these true manifestations of the Holy Spirit or are they of the enemy? So what did what did Johnny say in this podcast? I was... Well, he had just said that it was 2,000 year, oh, years right. ago. It was already accomplished. Then I went to my favorite verse, and Jesus brought it to me one morning, and it was um, Ezekiel 36, 26. Yeah. And it says, I will take your stony heart, and I will give you one of flesh. And, you know, I will. you will no longer do this, but I will give you one of flesh. And I was always judging my behavior by whether or not I was a good enough Christian, you know, whether I was free to be, you know, whether it was coming from within me that I was loving. Whether loving, he loving, had actually loving. given you that heart. Yes. Yes. And it was like, Michelle, he goes, I bought that and paid for that for you 2000 years ago. That love, that soft, I was always looking for this soft heart. And it's like, my heart was hard, you know, it, and Tyler, I remember saying that to him once. He goes, Mom, that's a lie. He goes, you don't have a hard heart. Your heart is as soft as could be. And it was like, huh, is that a lie? You know, and then we went to that verse, and that's when he just said, that is something. Ezekiel 36, 26 is looking forward to the cross. You're not there, Michelle. You are after the cross. I paid for that. You have a soft heart because I bought it. For you, that was a futuristic prophecy that was fulfilled in me. Now all you have to do is accept it and receive it. And it's like, huh? Okay. <laughs> and it's like that's changed everything for me. It's changed everything for me. It's not a I will, I will, I will. It's a I did, I did, I did. Mercy. You have, you have, you have. And all of a sudden, all the things that I read that I wrestled with, it's like it is established. It is in Jesus. All of a sudden, the prayers that I would pray instead of, instead of, oh, will you do this? Will you do that? Will you do this? It's like, no, I've already done it. It's I thank you for this. I thank you you've done this. I thank you that you are 
going to answer this prayer, this promise, this whatever in somebody's behalf. And it's like, no, it turned everything upside down. So when I started seeing this, it's like, this is the righteousness by faith that we have been missing, that we turned away from in 1888. This is it. This is it. I know it is. So I know it. In the last year or so, and I can't remember when you guys did your first, uh, your Vespers program where you guys talked about it. I remember Tyler messaged me and he's like, my parents are going to tell their story. And so we tuned in over here. We're very excited to watch it. Mm. Tell me about February, the lead up to that conversation (laughs) and the guilt and shame starting to go away and not identifying you seeing it in your husband. Cause I'm imagining after you got free, it was already true for you. You're just like waiting for him to see, like you don't have to live under those chains anymore, my man. Tell me about that. And I true, think- but I if I if I come at him, uh, I have to let it go. I have to pray about it and just let the Holy Spirit do the work, because he's you know he's because a man uh, convinced a against thing. his will <laughs> is of his own opinion still. Yes, some, there you go. <laughs> Um, I've been walking with a friend of mine that was a very good friend, um, and she belonged to our very first church. So 20 years ago, we've known each other, reconnected in 2020 because we had time. You know, we had time to talk to each other. Uh, she had walked into freedom apart from this ministry, but the God was calling it the same thing in her heart as well. Mm-hmm. So as we would talk about various things, I remember um, with regards to Wayne, because there is, we were talking about different things that cause shame and guilt. And she had been set free from shame and guilt in 2015. Um, we were just comparing stories. And one of the things that she said, and especially like with Wayne and I, when your story is linked up with, your spouses, and you were both part of this sin. Um, hers isn't what ours was, but when you when you are both, you're not at liberty to speak it without having permission from the other one, which I found out. And so as we were talking about things, the same thing is kind of true of her life. She's not able to speak of her sin, and, it, and it's her story, but he is part of it because he's not free. And so in all of this, um, she's sharing kind of her walk, and both of us are praying for our spouses, for them to be free, Uh so that the biggest story of our lives can be shared. Um, The biggest redemption, the biggest example of the power of God, not only in our marriage, but in our children, and in their lives, um, what and so we just started kind of praying towards that. And you just got to leave it alone. And, and in my case, I just kind of left it alone. I would see evidences of it. I find out the most in his sermons when he preaches. Because truth will either be messed up a little bit or he got it. And he's preaching the truth as we believe it now. But he he preaches what he believes, you know. And so there would be... 
And then I remember thinking, oh, there was one sermon that I, I thought I got to talk to him because <laughs> that was like wrong. <laughs> it's like there, there was, that's not freedom. It's so twisted. There was elements of freedom and then there was not freedom. And it was just like, oh, this is so confusing. But I remember I'm going to tell him as soon as he gets home, you know, and it's like the Holy Spirit just said, no, don't you know, do it. Put a, don't do it. Don't do it. And it's like, okay. I want to wrap this thing up with this. Okay. This story, this wild story of, I mean, it's a lot of heartache and pain. And as you're seeing, you know, the, the roller coaster that you've been on, but then you're seeing God's faithfulness to you through it all. And I'm thinking of, obviously, you know, I'm very, you know, Tyler's one of my best friends. Another one of your children that is another one of my best friends is Alyssa. I love Alyssa. And Alyssa, and if she's listening to this, she's not going to be offended at this. Talking about things from the past that were hurtful, she hates to do it. She hates it. She she pushes back, or she used to, I think, when, when she wasn't walking in the way she walks now. But she would push back and... And she doesn't like those things. And I think as time has gone by, she seems like, oh, I don't have to protect Protect that old person or protect that old thing. Like that actually, that old thing doesn't have anything to say about my today or tomorrow. It has nothing to say except for, praise God, look what he did. Amen. As you're telling this story, and when we have you and Wayne, you and your husband will talk a little bit more about this final leg of the story. But as you're looking back in your history and someone who's known you since Maplewood is, if if they're listening, how are you able to just to tell this story of all these ups and downs with so much confidence and so much assurity and so much peace in your heart? Cause I had it. I had it even then. I had it. Jesus is always, Jesus is peace. Jesus is hope. Jesus is healing. He is restoration. He's everything. He is who he says he is. He is the savior of the world. And there's nothing we can do to separate his love from us. Nothing. If there is a a young lady or an an older lady, and we're speaking specifically to to a woman who has experienced um, a husband stepping out, has experienced the feelings of being on the high horse because you didn't make the mistake. Um, what would you say to that person? From first, from the pain standpoint, and then from the the being elevated to the pedestal and being put up there with the temptation to lord the mistake over someone. Mm. I've seen people that have um, gotten stuck in that pain and it produces death. And it's like, there is nothing worth more than life and life abundantly. Jesus said that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and that's operative here. 
It's he tried to steal, kill, and destroy a marriage, a life. He does it with every single one of us. If I believe and let him take it and then not let it go. One of the things about forgiveness for me, and I believe it's true, it's like we can't forgive someone unless we've been offended or been wounded or wronged. So I already have received the consequence of their sin. Why not let them off the hook? Let God take care of them. And in me letting them off my hook of accusation of rights, right to be loved, right to faithful marriage, right to whatever it is, that rights aspect of hanging on to your rights is not worth it. To give up your rights and let Jesus be the one to defend you, to to heal the wound. Um, it's gotten to the point where it doesn't even wound me anymore. You know, it used to, you know, things that were hurtful, really hurtful. It's like you could say things to me and about me or, you know, knowing that this was my, pain, you know, point of pain. And it's like Jesus knows all that stuff and he's promised us that he will, he will heal us of all of our diseases. He will cover us with his blood. He will clothe us with his robes of righteousness. And he will give us the forgiveness. Everything that he says that he will give us, he will give us life abundantly. And when I look at all this and I could have stayed, I could have stayed in bitterness and in bondage and in unforgiveness. And regardless, I'm, I didn't do it perfectly. Uh, there isn't a perfect except for in Jesus, and he, he does that in us, through us, and for us. But I have, I remember driving across town in the port at our first, it was near Alyssa and Johnny's wedding, which that's another story, because I learned the love of God at their wedding. It's like, I finally got it. I finally... Don't tell that one yet. We'll, use, we'll save it. that one. Save I'm not going to say it. But you're driving <laughs> but across town. Like that and it was like I was singing and I was happy and my life was full and life is good. And the Holy Spirit said to me, Michelle, this is life eternal right now. This is life abundantly. This is what I died to give you. And it's like, what? This is, and it's like, I know what this is. I am blessed above blessed above blessed. My husband loves me. My children love me. My children love each other. My children love God. And it's like, is there anything better than that? I would go through everything that we've gone through and worse to have that. And I think most people would because family and the love of God, the peace of God that passeth all understanding is everything. And it's like that gives us hope and joy even in the midst of, of trials. It doesn't need trials. Just, they're just there for making us more like him. Praise the Lord. Thank you so yes, much. Praise the Lord. Thank you so much. Mm. And uh, we'll do another one to wrap this whole thing up. Uh, and uh, as, 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 uh, this uh, to it's testimony of his goodness that draws people to him. And he has been good to yeah. you. 
through through all of it. And so, so good. One of the things that people ask us the most, and it's like, we don't even, how do we say this? It's like, how did you, how are all your kids in the church? How are they all Christians? How does this happen? What you've interviewed us about, that's how it happens. Jesus is how it happens. Um, it's a it's a pursuit for truth more than hanging on to your own junk. It's being transparent. It's letting him change us from the inside out and believing that what he says is true, that he will bless us abundantly, over the top, beyond every, anything that you could ever think. And even if it's not perfect in this time, this lifetime, if you're older and life is winding down, he can still do it. God is God, and there's nothing to do it. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. Got me singing like glory. Yeah, it got me telling my story. Know that your love is pouring on me. And love is pouring on me. River flowing in and never ends. More than life, more than me, more than just pretend. You can feel in freedom from within. Free to fly, be the child that you always been. This episode was brought to you by gospel-loving listeners just like yourself. If you want to ensure more of these stories are heard by people and help build season three of the show and beyond, we'd ask that you please give to our building fund that's helping support the future of the podcast. It takes equipment and software and time and all that good stuff to make this an amazing listening experience for your ears. So we just ask that you help pay it forward like the person before you did to keep these amazing stories of God's transformative love rolling. You can go to lovereality.org slash give and choose death to life as the option to help us keep reaching more people and ensuring more episodes. Thank you so much, guys. Love y'all. Appreciate y'all. Singing like